Welcome back to Stories from a Mountain Town. This is your host, Tyler Meany, coming to you from Jackson, Wyoming, as always. Uh, today with me, I have uh, a new friend of ours, Matt Robson. Uh, he is recently moved here to Jackson. Matt, say hi to everyone. Hey, everybody. I've moved here uh, early October, so yeah. pretty new. Yeah, pretty new here. Um, we actually, um, Matt and I just met last last Friday, actually, not even a week ago. Um, our are you and Jillian married, or are you just dating? No, we're just dating. Yeah. So our girlfriends um, work at the hospital together. Jillian is uh, a, ner- a labor and delivery nurse as well. Yep. yep. So super cool connection there. Um, and today, uh, like we always do, we um, I ask the guest what kind of what kind of drink they'd like uh, me to provide for the for the podcast, and we have a recurring drink in uh, Paco's IPA from Snake River Brewing. It seems to be a local favorite, and I love it. Obviously, I like IPAs, but it's got a husky on the on the logo or on the label, so gotta love that. So we already poured into these and got into some, got our noses into it. Be good. I so, thought it before, but never out of a glass. I think it's better out of a glass than out of a can for sure. Yeah, I like doing IPAs out of. Um, Glasses or cups? Yeah, you pretty much have to. Because it seems like, I don't know if it's like the metallic can stuff messes with the bitterness. I, I think it's either that or it's not being able to, like you said, have your nose in it. you got to be able to smell it. Mm-hmm. And I think with the wide glass, it, it does something with the smell because your taste is apparently affected by your smell. Yeah, like, like dramatically. Mm-hmm. They say, what's the thing? They say that um, food that is prepared for you um, tastes better because your nose hasn't had a chance to like smell it while oh, you're really? making it. Yeah. So you smell like huh. the sandwich. You smell the sandwich while you're making it. So your body isn't like as oh, like wild. To it. it isn't as wild by the flavor huh. when you start eating it because you've just smelt it and that's like partially tasting it. Yeah. Makes sense. But yeah. So um, Matt here is a snowmaker for Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. Uh, and even, <laughs> he hasn't had the, the opportunity of doing a ton of that this year because it's been kind of warm. <laughs> Very warm. But um, yeah, tell people what that's like. It's awesome. I, it's, I've had a lot of fun jobs, which you know I think we'll kind of get into with this. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to say this is the most fun job that I've ever had, but it's, it's up there with them. I mean, uh, you know, everybody that I work with is super cool. A bunch of people my age, real outdoorsy. Um, We get to rip around on snowmobiles and four-wheelers and get to play with high-pressure water and air. and It's just its a lot of fun. You're outside all day, you're on the mountain, and you make it snow. It's it's awesome. It's it's pretty laid back, but when it's time to get the work done, it's 100%. And it can be pretty hard. I mean, you're carrying around big hoses and you're dragging stuff through the snow and you're digging out stuff but it's it's a blast i love it yeah um what made you want to like apply to that or get into that here in jackson i had a buddy that i worked with while i was living in hawaii he's another kayak guide and uh he had done it in colorado and uh you know i would always told him that i wanted to live out in the mountains for winter and be able to ski and snowboard the whole time and uh, and have a job out there. And he said, well, you know, I think you'd be a good fit for doing snowmaking. And 
I had no idea that they even made snow out here. <laughs> I figured that was an East Coast thing back where I'm from, but you've got to have it to open up early like they want to do here. So that's what I got into, and it's been a good fit so far. Yeah, even in the places like here or you know, any of the big resorts, they all have to in the beginning. Um, and then here specifically, the the land that the resort is on is super rocky. Mm-hmm. So to get any sort of skiable coverage, like you need a fake base right. for a lot of it. And then eventually, you know, the big snow comes and then the rocks get covered. But Right, right. And then you can go kind of wherever on the mountain. Yeah. But yeah, for right now, we've got uh, the white ribbon of death that we've yeah. made. And, and luckily, it was cold in mid-October. If we hadn't had that, the resort probably wouldn't be open on, yeah. on Thanksgiving like they wanted to. Because we made a ton of snow. Mm-hmm. It was, and it was the first time I'd ever done anything like this. I didn't really know anything about it. It was kind of like getting thrown in the fire because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, it's cold right now. Let's get this going. So it was a good way to learn. But at the same time, it was stressful because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> they wanted to produce. So good that we got it, though. <laughs> yeah. What's your, like, what's your average day look like? Like what, what, what do you do when you get there? And then as the day progresses, what do you guys do? Yeah. So I work day shift, uh, day crew and I get there at 12 in the afternoon. Uh, we go up, we get dressed. Um, we got to wear these mountaineering boots that are like hard plastic and are heavy and suck to walk in, but so it is what it is. They're like walking in ski boots the whole time. Why is that? Uh, safety. Like in case you drop something or something falls yeah, on Yeah, in case something falls on your foot or in case it goes under the snowmobile or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. It's uh, They have a lot OSHA. of... OSHA. OSHA, exactly. Yeah. We wear, <laughs> during the day, we have to wear high-vis vests. We've got flags on every, every piece of equipment. I mean, it's all, it's all safety-based. And they, they want us to be as safe as we can be. But it's a dangerous job. I mean, it, there's no way around that. I've already seen a few people get hurt, and it just is what it is. Uh-huh. You know, you just got to be careful. Yeah. So but, you get, oh, you, so so sorry. Yeah. We get there. We get dressed up. We come down. Um, shift manager tells us, you know, kind of the game plan, um, and we go from there. And it could be warm out, and we're going and replacing hydrants. Um, where our air and water come out of, um, the main pipes that go up the runs. We could be moving guns around. Um, there's all kinds of different tasks. And then, you know, when it's cold, it's time to fire it up. So hook the hoses to the guns, um, get them making the right kind of snow. Some of the guns you have to, you have to tweak. Other ones, you just set them to the right pressure and let them roll. Um, but you have to constantly, you know, run through, check things, dig things out, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's a lot of labor. Yeah. Are you like, I always see like, you know, around the, um, the water pipes at different resorts, you see just like water sp- and then ice sprayed everywhere. And you guys <laughs> just like constantly getting sprayed on when you guys are like yeah. switching hoses <laughs> around? Well, when you switch hoses, you try to let the pressure bleed off before you take the hose off the hydrant. Uh-huh. Uh, cause that could be pretty dangerous. So, I mean, we're, we're running like 800 PSI of water and around a hundred PSI of air. So you don't want to take those hoses off 
when there's pressure built up because it could hit you pretty darn hard. Is it like a fire hydrant type pressure? Yeah, it's like a fire hydrant type pressure. And, and the, the hoses that we have are basically, as far as I know, the same exact thing that the firefighters use. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they've got big metal couplings on the end. And if one of those things comes loose and hits you, that's going to be a bad deal. Yeah, because you guys, you said you wear helmets, right? Yeah, yeah, we have to wear helmets. Yeah. yeah we always... Are they like hard hats or like rock climbing? Yeah, kind of they're helmets? like, uh, they're kind of like hard hats. They're, I think they're called like uh, Pacific Pacific helmets or something. Oh. I, they have built-in uh, earmuffs oh. on them, which is nice because some of the guns that we use are super loud. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think the helmets are mainly for if we fall off a snowmobile or... Some of the guns that we use are mounted on big poles, and they get ice up on them. Mm. So if you go to move them, the ice will fall off, <laughs> and you know, yeah. getting hit by a big icicle in the head would be bad. Yeah. So the helmets are good for that too. But we we pretty much, uh, if you're on the ha the hill, you've got your helmet on. Yeah, um, you've got to. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, um, I've only been doing it about a month, and we've really only had maybe maybe 10 days of actually making snow in that month. So I, I can't really say that I'm I'm a snowmaker snowmaker yet, but I feel You're like at the end of the season, yeah. I'll have a pretty good idea of you know, how yeah. to do it and everything. It's not rocket science. You take compressed air and compressed water and shoot it in the air, uh -huh. whether it's via fan or just the pressure coming out of the hydrant. You know, one of those two will make it snow if it's cold enough. And that's the difference between um, the snowmakers that are like, like a wide, like a barrel kind of looking. Yeah, one the barrel ones like are called the ones that are just like a little, like a little jet kind of looking. Yep. So the polecats basically they have the little jets around the, that barrel. Yeah. And those are spraying out compressed water and compressed air, and then you've got the fan behind it that pushes it out. And that fan, you know, produces like a wind chill factor. So those guns will make snow warmer than the other kind will. Yeah. Because they have that wind chill factor. The other ones, they just spray out the water really fine and the air really hard against it. And I guess the air breaks up the water molecule really small. And the you would call it but i guess the coldness of that yeah. air coming and hitting the water makes it freeze yeah um and there's something to do too with like uh isn't there some sort of is there some sort of chemical that makes that snow that fake snow it melts higher or it's able to be made at a higher temperature or is it just that wind chill thing you said so i just learned about this a few days ago and i didn't really get into it but they have some kind of a bacteria that they put into the water that makes it freeze at a higher temperature. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it does it, but they've got this big tank of it. And I, you know, I assume that it's fine to be breathing in and eating and ingesting yeah. or whatever. We'll check back in in 30 years and <laughs> Matt might have lung cancer, but for now he's okay. <laughs> if I make it that long, then uh, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So that's that's a really cool job. There's so many um, in in my career and in my day to day. I would never run into someone that's a snowmaker, and I've always been around um, ski resorts and things, but I've never actually been able to talk to someone about that. 
I worked as a lifty in Minnesota for a little bit, oh, but that was hell. My bad. I did it like it was like a college job. I was like, <laughs> I just need some extra money. I'll yeah. just get this job because I was super qualified. I already had like done internships, but it was during this the season the um the school year. So I was like, I just want some more money, and I stayed for three weeks and then quit <laughs> because uh it was like a ten hour shift and you couldn't even take a break. Like yeah. you didn't get breaks and it's 10 hour shifts, just looking at chairs going around on a chairlift. And I already have ADD, but oh. that was just terrible for it. Yeah. My buddy, Kyle, he, a uh, good friend of mine from home I grew up with, he moved out to Colorado, um, before I came out here and he worked his first season as a lifty. And, uh, yeah, he said it was hell. Uh, he said that mainly what he had to do, at least out in Breckenridge, uh, where he worked was he would have to drag bodies. So the people that fall off the, the top of the lift, yeah. apparently a lot of them can't get up on their own. So you just got to grab them by whatever you can get and drag them out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> so you get the lift back up and going. Oh, yeah. Sounds yeah. They, boring. they used to play a game on the, on one of the lifts that um, I would work. It was like a newer one. It's one of the detachable ones. So they had mm-hmm. a computer that would say how long between uh, since the last stop. And you, if you lasted an entire <laughs> shift without stopping it, the manager would buy you a case of beer. <laughs> so then that, that led to happened. me, yeah, that meant, led to me like seeing someone fall and being like, yeah, I'm not going to stop it. I'll just go help them because <laughs> I wanted the beer. It's not that bad. Yeah. We'll just drag them out of the way real quick. <laughs> yeah. But there's a ton of that when you're just like, uh, like, you know, the lift is coming. Just like, well, how did you eat? How did you fall there? And then like frustrating seeing that many people fall off of it. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, there's a lot of people that, that have never skied before yeah. and they decide, well, where's the best place to go skiing? That's where I'm going. Oh my God. Yeah. And they and go, I, they go up the tram and then mm-hmm. they're like, then I, I heard, the, I heard <laughs> last year it was really bad from the icon pass stuff. Oh yeah. Um, they had an absurd amount of, um, ski patrollers needing to help people that had gotten in your rendezvous bowl. Mm-hmm. Had you been, have you been here before? I've never skied here before, okay. but I've heard those stories. Yeah. So rendezvous bowl is the, where you have to go right off the tram. It's a black mm-hmm. diamond, but yep. it's a big wide bowl. So you can kind of inch your way down. Um, if you're unsure, but if it's snowing, there's super bad visibility. It's really windy. Like there's days you get vertigo up there. Yeah. It's extreme. But so people would come with their icon pass because they see Jackson's getting snow they come up from like Salt Lake City usually, and they go up to the top of the tram, and they're just like, "All right, this is what you do here." Yeah, take the biggest and baddest up. Yeah, but they aren't good enough to go down <laughs> Rendezvous Bowl or figure their way out down the rest of the hill. So they had a lot. The ski patrol had a lot more to do at the upper mountain areas from people just going up there that shouldn't yeah. be. Yeah, I've heard bad things about the Icon Pass here, and uh, you know, I, I I totally understand localism and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, you know, I, I get that, but. Yeah, I'm sure it. I'm sure it makes it harder because you get all the people that don't want to go ski here coming. Yeah, yeah. When you get like really good skiers that they're usually at Altair Snowbird, they know what they're doing. Mm. But there's others that are like, "Well, honey, let's do let's." T- <laughs> that was a funny voice. I just pulled up for that. Well, honey, let's just go take a trip to the most extreme ski resort in America. I mean, if we're gonna go, we might as well go. All the way. Let's bring the kiddos up to the top of the tram. Let's get a waffle. Oh yeah. You know, and then they just decide to ski down, even though. There's the warning signs. There's the tram operators give you a warning and say, this is not like any member of mine you've ever skied before. This is way harder. If you don't know what you're doing, just ride down. And you can, you can ride the tram down in, the, in any time, but yeah. Ugh. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I've only ever skied out in Breckenridge before coming mm -hmm. here. That, that's the only out west skiing that I've done. I mean, I grew up in Maryland. We have hills there that we ski yeah. on, and we ski on ice on yeah. those hills. And, uh, you know, but did it a lot growing up and, and had a really good time with it. A big trip for me would be going to Seven Springs, um, which is in Pennsylvania. And, uh, I mean, that's maybe a eighth of the height of here. Yeah. <laughs> But, it's like uh, a little bit higher than like uh, the Tiwanat chair. Yeah, yeah, probably probably something like that. Yeah, and uh, you know it, it was fun. It's a good good way to cut your teeth. Um, yeah, that's what I grew up on too in Minnesota. It's just like uh, a lot of the resorts are in the Saint Croix River Valley, so they're mm -hmm. like you know what the river carved out millions of years ago. There's kind of these hills there. The only yeah. elevation is in that area, right? In in around the Twin Cities of Minnesota, and it was like maybe half of the vertical of Tiwanak was the whole, <laughs> was the whole, the highest part of the resort. <laughs> yep. That's what I started doing. Um, but you said you, you grew up in, you're born and raised in Maryland. Yep. What, what city in Maryland? Um, so I grew up, uh, in, well, Maryland's weird. They go by counties there. Oh really? Uh, which I never thought was a weird thing growing up because that's all I knew. But, uh, I grew up in Howard County, um, kind of out towards, you know, the Western end. So, if I have to tell people the city that I'm from, I say Frederick because uh -huh. I'm closer to Frederick than I am to Baltimore, and I would much rather go into Frederick than I would into Baltimore. <laughs> um, everything that everybody has ever heard of Baltimore is probably true. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's not a good place. Frederick. I'm looking it up on Google Maps right now. Yeah. So so Frederick's kind of you know getting out towards the mountains, and and Maryland's a cool state because you've got a little bit of everything. Um, you know, where I lived, you could drive an hour and a half and be in mountains, and you could drive three hours and be at the beach. Uh -huh. So you, you don't get the best of anything, but you get a taste of everything there. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is kind of cool. So um, I like that line. Yeah. You don't get the best. <laughs> Maryland. You don't get the best <laughs> of anything, but you get a taste of everything. <laughs> Should we, we should call up their travel their travel department and say like, all right, we got your next tagline. Uh, but you know, Maryland's a it's a cool place, and I'm uh, I'm glad to be from there. And did you? How far away is that from like DC? Because I can see it's pretty close here in the map. Yeah, it's pretty close. I would say hour. Well, <laughs> depends on traffic, but yeah. probably an hour with no traffic. I um, like that you did it in um, the time it takes to get there. That's a Minnesotan thing too. Oh, where really? we just say like, how far away is blank, and you just say the time it takes to get there, <laughs> not, not the miles. <laughs> no, no, the miles don't count for anything. Yeah, <laughs> other places like maybe like I think here they do more miles. Yeah, probably. Other other places where well, here you get on the road and do the speed limit. Places in yeah. Maryland, you get on the road, you ain't doing half the speed limit. Yeah, uh, not a chance. So do you have? Did you have a lot of like friends or people that you knew that like worked in D.C. or worked around like the federal government? Um. Not really. So the area that I grew up in Maryland is kind of strange. It's a very wealthy area, but it's only become very wealthy in probably the past 20 years. Uh -huh. So when my parents moved there, uh, they built a house and it was very rural. Yeah. And so for my, you know, growing up until about the age of 10, 12, it was a very rural area. A um, lot of farms, a lot of open land you know, kind of the sticks. Mm -hmm. And I guess a lot of government contractors 
have made a lot of money in the past, you know, decade or so. And so they've all moved out to that area. So a lot of mini mansions, a lot of lot huggers, you know, these enormous houses that, you know, barely fit on their plot of land. Yeah. Um, it's changed a lot. And uh, so for, for me and a lot of my friend group, our parents didn't have that kind of money when they got out there. Um, so when we all graduated from high school and, you know, some went to college, others didn't, we couldn't live, afford to live there. Yeah. I, you, you couldn't afford an apartment anywhere uh-huh. within the close proximity. Um, so a lot of people ended up, you know, living with their parents for, for a while after school. And some still do. Uh, nothing wrong with that. And, and a lot have moved away. Um, it's just kind of, you're almost forced out. Because you just can't afford to live around the area unless you've got a really well-paying job, yeah. Or unless you know you took over your parents' company. Unless you're one of those government uh, <laughs> people, right? Exactly. So you know it's uh, it's a good area to grow up in. A lot has changed, but um, you know I, I'm trying to pick, give people an idea of what it's like there, and it's. I don't know. It depends. I guess it depends how you grew up. So I was never really pushed into doing sports, mm-hmm. um, at least not through high school and stuff like that. A lot of my buddies and I, you know, we hunted, we rode dirt bikes, we mountain biked. We, we like to be outside. Yeah. Whereas I would say the vast majority of people who grew up in that area played sports and, you know, kind of did that thing, mm-hmm. organized sports, you know, that sort of thing. So we were kind of, you know, I guess a little bit outcast. Um, <laughs> we were kind of redneck, I guess you could say. <laughs> I'm trying to put it, you know, in a better light. But yeah, yeah. a lot of people get get take it as a compliment, though. Well, there ain't nothing wrong with being redneck. Yeah, I, mean, I, I got, I got, I got a lot of redneck tendencies. Uh, and it's funny that you know my girlfriend, she's from Boston, <laughs> so you know. <laughs> Some of the stuff that I bring up, she's just like, what the hell were you guys thinking? Like, well, that's what you did for fun there. Well, honey, when you shoot a propane tank, it blows right. up. What's, it's what cool. more is there to say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she hears about some of the parties that we had back in high school and stuff. But she's just like, what the hell? Like, you went out in a field with 30, 40 pallets and had a huge bonfire and towed a couch around behind a pickup truck and rode on it. Yeah, fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that sounds awesome yeah it was a good time yeah. but you know in that area there's I would say there's very little of that going on anymore yeah it's it's the area's grown up it's it's all developed yeah I have heard that um, I don't know what I mean I don't know what time period they're talking about but something happened where all of a sudden like all these government contractors and like lobbying companies like they just uh, all moved into the, like that DC and the surrounding areas oh, to yeah. get, you know, the benefits you'd get from being around the federal government. Right. Yeah, a lot of money. And so it just like exploded to this thing where it's actually like a money making place to go. Oh yeah. Where maybe maybe in the past it wasn't as much. No, it, was, it definitely wasn't as much. Because isn't DC like actually, wasn't it like actually built on a swamp? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like when they say D- drain the DC swamp, is it's a like shitty area. It's like actually kind of 
like they're actually calling it what it what it was. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you go to DC in the summertime, mm -hmm. and it it'll be a hundred degrees and a hundred percent humidity. Oh, and it, yeah, it's 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 rough. Now they've killed back all the bugs that you would get. Yeah, but it's still hot and low lying, and ugh, I wouldn't ever live there. Yeah, I've never <laughs> been to DC, and I don't know. You're not. What, I don't much. know what it would take. For me to go there that's not my scene you know growing up when i was in you know middle school and stuff we would go on field trips to the museums there oh yeah those would be cool which right which the museums there are cool but i guess when you grow up with it you're kind of jaded by it and you don't really understand you know the stuff that they have there and that yeah. they don't have that other places uh -huh. um yeah you really take it for granted and you do anywhere that you that you live after a while but yeah, yeah we would until, go to I, I think until you're right, that happens like when you're a kid, whatever is normal for you, you right. take, take for granted. And then as a teenager, you're like, oh, that was stupid. <laughs> That's what you do as a teenager. Right. And then I don't think you circle back until maybe like 22, 23. That's what it was for me. Yeah. When you start to reappreciate like, oh, wait, this is special. Right. You know? And right. Other people don't have this. This is different. Yeah. yeah. Like, like for me, it was... Um, we went to a, we had a cabin in northern Wisconsin on a really mm -hmm. beautiful lake. It was a really great, great place. So as a kid, we go there all the time, and it was great. And then you get to be a teenager, and I want to be, you know, you want to be trying to be popular in high school, and you want to hang out with the cool kids and whatever. And yeah. I went there a little bit less. And then in, in college, and then once I started getting out of college, it was like, wait, this is a really, really sick, special place yeah. that I can do all these things I want to do, hang out with my family, mm -hmm. and so you like reappreciate it after you're like, wait, I don't actually care about being cool anymore. <laughs> yeah, like, you are who you are. Like it's it is you just kind of grow out of that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely true. That's you don't appreciate, and and even even places that you live for a while, you can become jaded by. I mean, mm -hmm. I think I think we're gonna get into kind of the different places that I've lived and the things that I've taken from them. But just as an example, I lived in Hawaii for three years. And uh, I worked as a kayak guide, and I was thinking about it today. Um, you know, there were days where I would go out, and it would be nice, and I'd have guests that were kind of eh, and I'd be like, man, today sucked. <laughs> and I was still in Hawaii kayaking for work. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, the guests might have been eh, but it wasn't that bad. And, you know, but you become jaded by, or you become immune to wherever you live. And I yeah. really think that that's true. I, I, maybe you'll probably get into this the more you live here, but I've, I try really hard to never lose my appreciation yeah. for what we get to do here every day. Mm -hmm. Like I tried every single day. I want to see the grand and it's easy mm -hmm. for me because I live here. Right. But if it's cloudy, I'll like go somewhere or like every day I want to be in the mountains doing mm -hmm. something because I never want to lose that appreciation that I had when I moved here and just starry eyed right. and like, holy crap, I'm still here. And it's been, what's it been? Eight, eight months. Yeah. And you lose a little bit of the luster because you're like, it's just your day to day. Sure. It doesn't feel like a vacation anymore, mm -hmm. but I've tried, I've actively tried really hard to keep that appreciation. Yeah. That's good. That's So keep know. that appreciation for Jackson if you love it. Yeah. And that's what you should do. I mean, you got to you got to make sure that you appreciate wherever you are cuz the other thing is that there is something cool and something interesting no matter where you are. Yeah. Like for for me driving out here, 
was interesting because I've never driven across the country before. We drove from Maine, Maine to get yeah. here. Um, but, you know, even in the middle of the Midwestern states where it's all flat and it's all, you know, crops and agriculture, it's cool because it's so flat. And it can be calm one minute and you go 10 miles down the road and it can be windy as hell. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's unique. Now, would I want to live there? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But it's it's unique and, and it's special in its own way. And, and I think that you need to appreciate places for what they are. And you can find something cool about anywhere. Definitely, yeah. I started, I made the drive from Minnesota to here a bunch of times back and forth before I moved here. And then mm. more now that we moved here because we have all these weddings to go back to. Yeah. I should have said in that tone. We have all these great friends that are getting married that we want to be there for this special day. (laughs) Is that better, friends? (laughs) So we've done the drive a bunch. Um, And in the beginning, going through like South Dakota, it's that flat, just barren. I was like, God, this is awful. We should just like (laughs) put a nuke in that section of the country and just so that Minnesota attaches to Wyoming or something like that. But then I've read these books uh, about like the frontier and Jim Bridger Mm -hmm. and the American, like the pioneering times. And after reading those books, it like revitalized all the crazy shit that happened in these areas because you, you read about these like cowboys versus Indian battles and they yeah. use like the rolling hills. You could just disappear, but you're like super close to, to the opponent right. and, and how they navigated lands and how they survived out there mm-hmm. in kind of a barren area. Yeah. It totally changed the way I viewed that part of the drive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... What was kind of interesting, the, I would say the, the most interesting part of our drive out here was we, we camped the whole way, and we camped in Badlands National Park for one night. Oh, that's cool. I wouldn't even say it was a whole night, though. So we got there, and we knew that a storm was coming through, and it was that like freak blizzard that you guys got in October or whatever, early October. Oh, yeah. So we, you know, we knew that was coming. We had a tent, pretty sturdy tent, really, really pretty cool tent. It's called an Oz tent. I don't usually promote people's things, products and things, but the Oz tent is badass. Is it OZ? OZ tent. They're made in Australia, and actually my buddy Kyle hooked me up with one um, through his pro deal from work. Mm. And so the thing is... Do you have like the patio on there? One of those ones? Yeah, yeah, that exact one right there, the RV5. Okay. Yeah, so what we're looking at here, guys, it's like a a pretty hardy looking tent with like a with like a a little canopy over like the where the front door would be. Yeah. So you have a little like kind of I guess like a tent patio area. Yeah, so you got like a a tent patio area, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Well, the floor of it is real tough vinyl, and the sides are real tough canvas. We've had the thing for almost a year now, and we love it. I mean, I I could live out of it. It's it's that nice. You but can live out of a tent. Oh, if you were going to live out of a tent, this would be the one to do it. Oh, yeah. So anyway, back to the Badlands. We camped out there. We knew the storm was coming, and it was beautiful. It was, there wasn't a slight breeze at all. It was dead still. The sunset that night was incredible. Uh-huh. Um, got some really cool pictures of the, you know, the Badlands through there and with the sunset behind it. So we go to bed and we're like, all right, so what are we going to do about this storm? I'm like, well, let's sleep for a little while 
and if it wakes us up, we'll pack up and we'll just keep driving. Mm-hmm. And so we go to bed. Well, we wake up at three in the morning, and the wind is screaming. <laughs> I mean, it is screaming. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, well, time to go. So we pack everything up. We're trying to put stuff. We got one of those big top boxes for the SUV to put yeah. extra stuff in. Shit's flying out of there with the wind. Jill's running through this campground, pitch black, trying to grab stuff, put it back in there. So we get on the road, and uh, and we've got a, uh, it's a 01 Lexus LX470. It's basically a Toyota Land Cruiser. Uh-huh. Thing weighs like 6,500 pounds. Heavy. Dry, dry weight, which is heavy. Yeah. And we've got, I don't know how many hundred pounds on it. Your moving whole, all our stuff. Your whole life in there, right? Our whole life, right. Our whole life is in this thing. And I'm driving, and that thing is getting blown all over the highway. Yeah. I mean, it, it was crazy. I, I've never felt wind like that. At least I've never driven through wind like that. Uh-huh. But we got, uh, we got out... We hit Wyoming and stopped for gas, and the pumps were, the handles were frozen to the pump. I'm like, holy crap, like, it's cold, and this is gnarly. Like, I yeah. wasn't expecting this. Welcome to Wyoming. Yeah, exactly. Like, welcome to wintertime. Yeah. And Jill, she doesn't like the cold. She She's not a cold-weather person. She likes the beach and the sunshine. And she's like, babe, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. And I was like, well, I guess we'll see. <laughs> Did she mean... Living in Jackson in general? Yeah, or? she meant living out here in general. She she does not like the cold. Uh-huh. But she's she's acclimated. She's doing good with it now. But uh, that, that was a trip coming through there. Definitely. I'm trying to find you a video. Um, for those of you that follow me on Instagram, you probably saw this last Christmas. Here it is. Um, uh, my brother Ryan and I, we came out here. Uh, just for vacation, and then we, when we drove back, whiteout conditions. Yeah, we drove back, and it was sn- um, snowing in Jackson when we left, and then we kind of got in front of the storm, and then it caught back up to us. And this video I posted to my uh, one of my stories back then. It was like so windy, the snow was just going totally sideways. We couldn't see more than like ten feet in front of us. We're going like thirty-five on a freeway because we couldn't go, we couldn't see anything. You couldn't see the side of the of the road, nothing. And we kept looking at these radars, and it would be like, no snow in your area, it's clear. But it's like, no, the wind is blowing this snow from somewhere north of us all the way down to, like, Nebraska. <sighs> so that's what that was. It was just nuts. Like, we were just – the drive normally takes, like, 18 hours from yeah. here to Minneapolis. That one took, like, 24. Really? Yeah. And we, like, even, like, stopped – one of the nights just to sleep at a hotel mm-hmm. instead of driving through it, which I don't, I'm reluctant to do because I just want to get it done with. Yeah. But that one we had to, we couldn't inch along for that much longer. Oh. Um, but we eventually got home. But yeah. So, um, after, uh, where did you move to first out of, out of Maryland? So the first move, you know, is obviously the biggest one and the hardest one because you've got to, You've got to break break away from everything that you know. Yeah, and and this is something that I like to stress to a lot of people is is doing that, and it's something that we've talked about. Um, you know, breaking out of what you're comfortable with, mm-hmm. and um, so the first move was down to Florida, uh, Florida Keys, uh, more specifically Marathon, 
which is basically halfway point between Miami and Key West. Um, my so growing up, he's not by blood, but I kind of lived with his family. Um, I consider him to be my older brother. I tell people that he's my older brother. It's uh, Justin, Justin Brunt. And uh, he is, I guess, three years older than me. And he moved down there just on a whim. He bought a house up in Maryland and he owned his own dump truck, uh, had his own dump trucking business and got tired of it, hated it and just decided, screw it, I'm gonna go down to the Keys. So him and his girlfriend at the time bought a little old camper and started renting out their house that they had and drove down there and started living in the camper. And uh, she got a job uh, waitressing at one of the restaurants down there, big tourist area. And uh, he, grow well, growing up, I used to go fishing with his younger brother, was, you know, initially my friend. He's my same age, Tyler. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's three years older than us. <clears throat> we would all go fr- fishing with his dad. And uh, so Justin knew something about fishing. I wouldn't say he was a avid fisherman, but, you know, he knew his way around a boat. He started walking up and down the docks, and he's one of those type of guys that can just talk to anybody. I mean, he just a really super friendly guy, out very outgoing, and he started talking to one of the captains down there, and the captain said, well, if you want to work here, come tomorrow morning, and I'll take you out. And so that's what he did. And he ended up starting to mate for this guy, and now he's a boat captain and lives down there full time and runs his own fishing boat. That's amazing. Um, so he did that. Got kind of sidetracked there. Yeah, sorry. Our our dogs just walked in and wanted to <laughs> wanted to say hi. <laughs> so he started doing that, and I was living in Maryland at the time. I had just graduated from college. Um, I was painting houses after college because that's what I was doing through college to kind of make side money and went down to visit him and I was like, dang, this is badass. Like, I can't believe that you came down here and you live here now. Like, this is freaking awesome. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, man, it's cool. Like, if you want to do it, you got a place to stay. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, you know, you want to. If you want to move down here, you can stay with me for, you know, however long until you get situated. And so driving home from there, it was like an 18-hour drive. And I thought about it the whole way. And I said, yeah, you know, he's right. Like, I should do this. What do I got to lose? I, yeah. You know, I've got an environmental studies degree. And I've been doing interior painting for the past two years. And so... uh Went and had a meeting with my co-workers. You know, we were starting to form up this business. Two guys that were older than me. And uh, had a couple employees and stuff. And, and they were really gung-ho about me being a partner in this whole thing. And I, I went to this meeting about, you know, getting this really going. And I told them, I was like, well, sorry, guys. I'm, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. This sucks. Yeah. And they're like, well, but we're making all this money, and we're gonna make even more, and like, you're this is you're making a stupid decision. And I was like, nah, 
this sucks. Like, yeah, I'm making money, but I'm freaking miserable. Like, I, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. And so, I don't know, about a month after that, I sold most of my stuff and drove down to Florida. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that um, was what he, what Matt was saying before we started recording and then on actually the podcast with Noah, we were talking about how it's a special, mo it's an important moment in your life when you realize and you like tangibleize that you don't actually need to stay around where you grew up. Like you can just be like, I want to go live over there and I can go do that. And then you just go do it. It's like a very important moment. And it's not, not to say that you shouldn't, uh, that you, everyone needs to move away from where they grew up, but if you're not totally happy in the place you're in, like there's nobody stopping you but yourself from going to where you want to be happy. People our age have have so much opportunity to do this too. Yeah. I mean, we you can buy a car super cheap. Yeah. Gas is cheap. Mm -hmm. And I know plenty of people through, and now I never would have known these people had I not done this, but I know plenty of people who live out of their cars. And oh, yeah. I used to, you know, be so stigmatized to, oh, you live out of your car, you're a freaking bum, like, you must be a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, for for a lot of people our age, that's not the case. You know, they're, they're smart, and they're smart enough to know that they're not happy in one place, and they say, screw it, I'm leaving. I'm going, I'm going to go be a kayak guide. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go, you know, do whatever they enjoy. And, yeah, they don't have two nickels to rub together, but they're living. And they're happier than they're, they would be if they were making money paying houses or something. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. I, I was fortunate enough to have made a nest egg uh, painting houses. Um, I had a motorcycle that I sold um, before I left. That was tough to part ways with. <laughs> but, you know, when you do something that you really enjoy, you realize that the money that you make doing something that you hate can't buy you the same happiness that that you can have doing a job that you enjoy not making enough money. Yeah. And that's that's a huge thing. And that kind of reverts back to the area that I grew up in, super wealthy. It's crammed down your throat. You need to have a million dollar house. You need to, you know, make all this money to be happy and if you don't do that, then you're nothing. Mhm. Mm and, and, and that was very hard kind of idea to break away from because it's so – you're surrounded by it. Yeah, especially there. Uh, how many people get true joy out of working for the federal government? No one. Probably, yeah, very – a lot less than <laughs> that than are working for the federal government. Yeah, no. Uh-uh. No. I, Unless you, like, have your own department and you, like, do something that, you know, gives you – oh, look at this. <laughs> So Bridger just hopped up on the couch and then laid on my lap to want to snuggle. He's a big dog. Doing. He takes up about half the couch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that you're totally right in, in that you see pretty quickly once you start doing something that gives you fulfillment, mm -hmm. that that fulfillment feels a lot better than any money you would make doing something that isn't as, as fulfilling. Yeah, for sure. And that for me, so I kind of, I, I totally followed in Justin's footsteps. Um, I got down there, started living with him, and I, I was having a hard time finding a boat to get on. Uh -huh. And 
the same guy that got him his start had his own boat, and he said, oh, you know, you're a cool guy. Uh, why don't you start coming and washing my boat every day? I'll give you 40 bucks to wash my boat, and, you know, you'll be down here at the dock. You'll be meeting other people. I can set you up with other boat washing gigs. I'm like, okay. So, you know, it wasn't much, but it was enough to live off of. You know, you didn't live off 40 bucks a day. And so I washed boats for the first, like, month that I was there. And eventually, I, I found a captain to pick me up, and his name's Dave, Dave Schillinger. He is a hell of a guy. Does he go by Captain Dave? He goes by Captain Dave. Awesome. Yep. I love that. <laughs> well, funny story about that when you're done. If, if I Okay. Uh, well, for, feel free, because I'm going to have to talk about Dave in this. Um, because, uh, so, got picked up by him, and he wanted somebody that didn't know anything about charter fishing. Which I did not. I, I had been maybe offshore fishing five times. I, I knew enough to know that I didn't get seasick. Yeah. And that was about it. And uh, so that was kind of my lucky break was, was meeting Dave. And, uh, and Dave and his wife ended up taking me in. They were, you know, they're, they're like real salt of the earth people. They didn't have much down there. They kind of moved down there on a whim. Dave was working for a pipeline company, running heavy equipment, and made a little bit of money and decided to move down to the Keys. And he learned charter fishing from another guy uh, down there, Dave Jensen, which is another character. <laughs> and, uh, and so Dave bought a boat and called it the right-of-way, which on the pipeline, the, the shot that they make to run the pipe is called the right-of-way. Oh. And so he decided to name his boat that so that when his boss called him and his boss asked, where are you, where are you? He'd say, oh, I'm on the right away. <laughs> so, yeah, kind of funny. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so he, you know, he said, screw that kind of work and, and decided to, to be a charter fisherman. And uh, so I worked for him and it was hard. Yeah, it was uh, a lot of days, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I didn't even know some of the fish that we caught. Like, I'd have a client reeling in a fish. I'd be looking up at Dave on the flybridge, and he'd be looking down, and we'd pull the fish up. And if I didn't know what it was, I'd look up at him, and he'd go, oh, that's a nice, you know, African pompano, or oh, that's a, ni <laughs> that's a nice, you know, mutton snapper. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'd bullshit the client. You know, oh, yeah, this, this is a great fish. <laughs> And that's how I learned. I mean, I, I knew yeah, nothing. And we had a lot of days out there where I I would screw up because I was nervous. You know, you've got a client on the boat that's paid $2,000 to come out there and fish for the day. Whoa. And, you know, they catch a nice mahi. Um, you get it next to the boat. It's the mate's job to gaff the fish and bring it in the boat. And I can remember one trip where, uh, well, there were several of these, but I, one stands out in my mind. This guy came out, and we had had a rough day and missed some good fish, and it was getting down to, like, you know, last hour of the trip. We hooked up on a good mahi, had it right next to the boat, and I screwed up a gaff shot, and it got away. Oh, no. And we rode, you know, like an hour back to the marina, and pretty much empty handed and uh, that sucked 
you know, you've got this guy that paid a ton of money, the captain's pissed at you, and it's your fault that it was a bad day. And uh, I can remember we dropped the client off, and we're driving back to Dave's house. He had a dock right in his backyard that was where we kept the boat. And I climbed up to the flybridge, and I said, well, I guess I'm done here. And he looked at me, and he goes, yeah, you really fucked up today, but we'll keep you on. <laughs> and I was like, are you sure? And he was like, yeah, you, you'll, you'll figure it out. You'll get it. And, wow. you know, it took a little while, but I did. And it took a lot of him. I can remember him up on the flybridge. He nicknamed me Frigate Bird, which is a very gangly, tall, lanky-ass bird, yeah. which is I kind of resemble. Um, and uh, I can remember him beating on the steering wheel of the boat. God fucking damn it, Frigate Bird! Like, <laughs> and I'm scrambling around down in the pit, which is what you know, call the deck of the back of the boat. Uh-huh. You know, floundering around trying to get stuff going. It, it was uh, it was quite the learning experience, but uh, I eventually figured it out and became a pretty halfway decent mate on a fishing boat. Yeah, that's awesome. So that was uh, so kind of like Gilligan. I guess so. Yeah, like big, <laughs> tall, skinny Gilligan. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, I lived in the Florida Keys for about a year and a half. And loved it down there. You know, it's a, it's a lot of fun. A lot of people our age live down there um, who kind of, you know, serve the tourism industry. And uh, the Keys are great, but there's only two things to do down there. That's fish and drink. <laughs> and that's it. When the, fishing's, when the fishing isn't good, then the drinking is good. Exactly. And, uh, you know, even when the fishing is good, the drinking is still good. Yeah. And, uh it's, you know, the same, it's the same here. When, when the snow is bad, you're drinking because you're bored. And when the snow is good, you're drinking because you're excited. <laughs> so you're just always drinking. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's the keys. You know, you're not, as a mate, the clients are always drinking on the boat. Mm-hmm. And they always want to drink with the mate because it's your job to bullshit with the clients. It's your job to make sure they have a good time. Yeah. You're, you're a fisherman, but you're an entertainer. Yeah. And, you know, the guys always want to drink with you. And it's the rule is, you know, the captain and the mate don't drink until the boat's tied up. As soon as the boat's tied up back at dock, we're cracking beers. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, you're, you're back at dock and there's five other fishing boats that are just tied up. All those guys are drinking. Yeah. The people that are on the boat are already wasted. and you know they leave whatever extra beer there is yeah and you've got two or three hours more work to do once the trip's over the captain cleaning and stuff right the cleaning boat maintenance all that kind of stuff so the captain is filleting out the fish you know talking with the clients doing whatever and you know all the mates are cleaning the boats and so you know you're starting to crack beers Mm -hmm. and uh you know, I would say on average per day down there, I'd drink between eight, nine beers a day. And, you know, it's light beer, and yeah. you're sweating a lot down there because it's hot as hell. You drink a lot of Yingling? No, the Yingling's more of like a Northeast kind of beer. Uh, I guess I've only had it, I've had it a few times. Uh, I, I go to Florida for work like almost yeah. every year. So there they have it and I get it there. They but, have it. It's yeah. a good beer. I, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love Yingling. A lot of Miller Lite. That's kind of like the beer, the beer of choice down there. 
uh, drank a lot of Miller Lite. I and call those pork chop waters. I hate <laughs> I've never Lite. heard that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I Growing up in Minnesota, it's like probably the most popular or second most popular beer that everyone drinks because it's in Milwaukee. So okay. all of Wisconsin drinks it. Yeah. A lot of Minnesota drinks it. And so like a lot of people. Like shout out Tyler Jokinen, if you're listening – this guy's whole family, all they drink is Miller Lite. So we like went, Taylor and I went to his family. He has like a farm with a bunch of land they hunt on. They do like four wheelers and shit oh, yeah. there. Shoot guns and stuff. I'm talking my language now. Yeah. But yeah, what, probably what your, probably what your, <laughs> your, all your friends' houses were like when you're growing up. Uh-huh. Northern Minnesota, but should go there and like all the fridges just stocked to the gills with Miller Lite because the whole family only drinks Miller Lite. Yeah. So it's the same way with the keys. Yeah, Miller Lite's kind of the, the beer of choice. But, you know, for, for me, being in the Keys, I, I loved fishing. It was a lot of fun. You never knew what you were going to find out there. You never knew what you were going to see. You never knew what you were going to catch, for sure. And then you never knew what kind of tip you were going to get when you got back to the dock. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's a total crapshoot. Every day is different. And it's every day is an adventure out there. There was one day where we were fishing this tournament and uh, we would always look for trash in the water because it holds fish. Bait fish will come to take shelter in the trash. The bigger predatory fish that we're trying to catch will hang out underneath it, eating those bait fish off of it. So Captain Dave sees this, uh, you know, thing floating in the water, pulls the boat around, says, hey, free bird, pitch a couple baits at this. Cast a couple baits at it, <clears throat> get a look at it, and it looks weird. It's this, you know, uh, rectangle package thing in the water. And Dave goes, hey, I'm going to back down on that. There, there were no fish on it. I want you to pull it in, pull it on board. Let's see what it is. So he backs the boat down. Was there, was there a client on board too? This was an odd day. So we, Dave loved to tournament fish, uh-huh. and, uh, and we would put together tournament crews to go out and fish these tournaments down there in the Keys. They paid out some money. You know, you pay in a little bit. Charter fishing is a lot of gambling with these tournaments. Yeah. So we would, you know, we would get in on, and uh, it's good name recognition for the boat. You win a tournament, you get a lot of press, a lot of PR, and then people are going to want to sign up for trips on your boat because they know the crew's good. Yeah. So, um, So we're fishing this tournament, and we had all people that we knew on the boat uh, including this kid, JC, um, who is a stellar fisherman. He was, I think, 11 or 12 at the time when he was on the boat. Wow. And this kid would horse in a fish that weighed as much, if not more, than him. Better than adults who weigh three times what the fish weighed. Wow. I mean, this kid's a fisherman. His dad's a fisherman. He grew up down there. He, That's what he's going to do. He. One of the best fishermen I've ever met. But anyhow, we had him on the boat. We had a few other people. We backed down on this package and uh, pull it up on board. And the first giveaway that it was going to be something interesting is it was wrapped in a feed sack that said product of Columbia. Oh, yeah. And so we're like, all right, this is going to be something interesting. So start cutting it open, get through the feed sack, and it's a bunch of individually wrapped um, in like, you know, like the industrial grade saran wrap kind of stuff, <laughs> bundles. Bundle, and, what colored bundles? Well, the bundle, the, the packaging was brown, so we didn't really know. 
And we had two guesses. It was either bricks of money or it was bricks of blow. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, take out, I take my knife out. I cut one of them open. And sure enough, there's the white powder. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we've got about 60 pounds worth of pure cocaine on the boat at this point. <laughs> now, this isn't, this isn't exactly a, an unheard of <laughs> coincidence in the keys yeah because a lot of drugs are smuggled up through there uh-huh. and you know the people in the keys who are doing that shit because they're running around in lamborghinis and they got you know houses right on the water they got the big cigarette boats yeah there's a lot of that stuff going on down there and so we i you know we pull it open, pop it open it's blow and i look up at dave and i'm like what do we do now? Because that's a lot of money on the boat right there. Yeah. And, you know, we looked it up and, and uncut, that's our, like $2 million right there. Oh, my God. And you know people that you can sell it to down there. Yeah. I mean, you can just go to any bar probably. And well, yeah. Or, not with that much. You're like, you got to go to the people that do this kind of thing. Oh, the suppliers. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so he's like, oh, my God. Like, he doesn't know what so he's like, all right, everybody shut up for like 10, 20 minutes. I'm going to think about this. He's up on the bridge. He's thinking. He's looking around. And he goes, guys, you all are going to hate me, but we got to turn this in. And I kind of looked at him like, uh, you sure? And he's like, <laughs> we got to turn it in. We got a 12-year-old on the boat. We got to set the right example. So we called the Coast Guard. And... Uh, and the Coast Guard is like, so what do you have on your boat? Oh, my gosh. And Dave goes, I have something that you guys need to come and pick up. And they're like, well, what is it? And he's like, well, I don't feel comfortable saying what it is over the radio. And they're like, well, they kind of give him attitude. They're like, well, we're not coming out there unless we know what it is. Wow. And he goes, I got about 60 pounds worth of fucking cocaine on my boat right now. <laughs> Motherfucker, get out here. we just found. And they go... Oh, okay, we'll be right there. They sent the cutter out. They were flying out there. Yeah. And, you know, they picked it up, and they they were all stoked on it. They couldn't believe that we turned it in. And they are all taking pictures with it and stuff. And uh, so, you know. That's incredible. It was was made for a great story. Yeah. Is that that the account for the, the boat? No, that's that's my account. The tropical. I gotta follow you. Tropical Yeti. Tropical Yeti. So yeah, if you want to follow Matt and his travels, I haven't even followed him yet. So, um, tropical underscore Yeti. Yeah. A nickname that was given to me by the guy who suggested that I become a snowmaker. Interesting. You got to update your bio. You're no longer a guide for Hawaiian paddle sports. No, I'm not. Olympus TG4. Is that a camera? Yes, that you, is a camera. Do you get into photography? A little bit. I like I like photography. I'm not I'm not super into it. I like to I like to take pictures. Usually I don't have my camera with me. The the Olympus TG4 is the camera that I used for for work um, when I was a kayak guide, uh-huh. which we'll get into I'm sure. Yeah. But it's a shockproof, waterproof camera. It's a point and shoot, you know, simple thing. It, it takes really good pictures for what it is. And my old man actually got me one for Christmas uh, a couple years back. That's so a great gift. Yeah, this is the camera that I do all my stuff on. 
okay. you'll see on my Instagram, um, all my pictures around here and all the stuff I do for like our cl- the clients that we pick up for the marketing company. It's all on that. Another lens, uh, like a uh, a skinnier lens. It's for like it gets really it like pulls in the landscape if I'm doing like some oh, nice. stuff. Like you see all these prints that we have right here. Yeah, yeah. So those are all taken, all on this camera and all by me. Oh, killer! Dang. So we just or actually I can't say it on here. We ordered some, we ordered some prints for some Chris, Christmas gifts for people. And if you think it's about you, message me, and uh, I'll let you know if it's for you or not. Uh, but we have them all here in the house. Very cool. But that one there, so that's just the same one back to back. Okay. I'm gonna try to see if any like local businesses want to buy that to put up in their in that's their a thing. Great shot. Yeah, I took it, and I'm still mind blown by how it looks blown up like that. Yeah, yeah, it's still sharp. You know, the most I see it on is like Instagram or whatever, and and it got it, it people got a decent amount of likes on Instagram, mm-hmm. but like seeing it in that form is like, holy shit, this is one of my favorites I've ever taken. Yeah, yeah, it's a great shot. Thank you. I will be right back. I got to pee. My bladder the size of a walnut. <laughs> okay, I'll pause it. All right, we're back. Sorry about that, everyone. We had a little potty break for both of us. We've been we've been having a couple pops. Much needed. Yeah. Um. So, where did you go from the Florida Keys? Where'd you move next? So, I'm gonna have to to lead in with the story of how Jill and I met. Mm-hmm. Um, we were down in the Keys. Um, she was just visiting a mutual friend of ours, and you know, like I said, there's two things to do in the Keys: fish and drink. Well, they they do things uh, like they have a cornhole league um, to kind of get people out, and, you know active and socializing and stuff so it's kind of a big deal down there and I never played on the league but I would go from time to time and just you know hang out BS with people you know watch and uh, so I'd gotten done a day of fishing uh, hadn't changed yet was half drunk had fish blood and guts all over (laughs) me probably smelled terrible and decided I would go uh, to, to the cornhole league and I'm uh, I'm there watching, and there's two girls in front of me, and uh, Jill uh, ends up talking to her friend about backpacking stoves, and you know I do camping and backpacking and all that kind of stuff, and and they were talking about how the jet boil is so much better than the uh, pocket rocket, uh-huh. two different types of yeah. backpacking stoves. I have a jet boil. Okay, you have a jet boil. Yeah. All right, that's bougie. <laughs> so so i jill says you know oh yeah the jet boil is so much better so much easier to use you know i'm like half drunk i'm like ah oh, jet boil is a piece of shit that's for bougie backpackers and she turns around and that was that yeah. we we started talking I, I i prefer the uh pocket rocket myself a little smaller huh. simpler to use i think um the jet boil is probably a little better yeah i, I just have the one it doesn't it's not the one that has like the that it connects to like the mugs. It's just like the plane, basically just three okay um, three like prongs prongs with the flame in the middle. Oh, that's the pocket rocket then. The jet boil has but the, it's, the. I think it's a jet boil brand. Oh. Oh, yes. oh pocket rocket type jet boil brand. Yeah. Okay, Taylor from the parking lot has decided that we actually have a pocket rocket, so I'm not a bougie camper. Perfect. The pocket rocket's the way to go if you're if you're doing a little hike. But anyway, anyhow, yeah, we got to talking that night and hit it off, and and uh, 
she ended up extending her visit to the Keys uh, for another week, and uh, we hung out quite a bit then. And uh, I had a boat at the time. It was a uh, 12-foot inflatable dinghy <laughs> with a uh, like 10-horsepower engine on the back. And I took her on a date out on the, in the Florida Bay on that thing, and it was all over after that. So she was living in San Diego at the time. She went back, um, and her plan was to move to Hawaii um, as, a, as a travel nurse, basically. Yeah. And uh, she, she said to me one night over the phone, she was like, yeah, why don't, why don't you come out there with me? And I, you know, I thought, wow, man, I, I don't know. Like, that's a, that's a big move. Yeah. Like, that's, that's far. How long had you known her? I had known her for maybe a month. <laughs> <laughs> Been with her for like a week. Yeah. Hi, hello. That, nice to meet you. You want to move to Hawaii together? Pretty much. So, uh, you know, I, I really wasn't sure what I should do. And, uh, and I talked to my captain, Captain Dave, about it. And he goes, Frigate Bird, you'd be stupid not to do that. He's yeah. like, what's the worst that happens? You guys don't work out. You move back here. You move back in with me. We fish more. He's like, you always got a job here if you want to come back. And so I said, yeah, screw it. Let's go. And so there, uh, I don't know, I moved, I moved back to Maryland for about a month to see people and get some things straightened out. Had to sell my car, had to get rid of more material items. Mm -hmm. um, and got a plane out to Hawaii. Wow. And I actually stopped over in Breckenridge and, uh, and snowboarded on my way out there. <laughs> and uh, missed my flight from Colorado to Hawaii. Uh, and Jill didn't think I was coming. She thought I bailed for sure. And the next day I showed up and she picked me up from the airport and we've been together since. Wow. <laughs> That's really cool. What island were you on? Well, we were initially on Big Island. Uh, we lived there for about three months. And there I just worked for a guy doing general contracting stuff. We built a really fancy fence for this person. Um, and from there we moved to Maui and lived there for three years. I'm gonna, I've never been to Hawaii, so I'm gonna look it up on the map here. Just so we lived like... Hilo on the big island first, Hilo, which is yeah. the rainy side of the island. Everybody, when they think of big island, they think of Kona, uh, mm. which is the dry side. There's some beaches over there. Kona Brewing is over there. I love that, that brewing company. Very good beer. My dad, my dad has been to Hawaii a bunch of times and he loved that, so mm -hmm. for, um, in one of the bars at our cabin, they have like a surfboard sign yeah. for like a longboard logger, I yep. think. Oh yeah. And he would always go in there and be like, "Hey," to the owner, like, "Hey, when are you gonna give me that? When are you gonna give me that?" And I got it for him. I got it from just from their website uh, for like a Christmas present or nice. something. Yeah. So you lived in Hilo, and then you moved to where? We live. We moved to Maui, and we lived on the beach for the first week until our cars came over there on the ferry. Mm -hmm. um, and then we moved to Kihei. We lived there for, I guess, a year, um, which is down on the coast. Uh, we had a tiny little studio apartment right across from the beach. Um, and then
and that you know that was cool but it was basically like a big screened in porch where we lived and paid crazy amount of rent yeah Kihei see this is right there right by Maui Nui Golf Golf Club yep just down from there right across from uh, Maui Wave Riders where is where that's like where I don't know probably 90% of the people that take a surf lesson in Maui go yeah. um so we got, you know, we lived right across from the beach. Our our apartment looked out on the water, and uh, that was pretty darn cool. And from there, we moved to Kula, which is just up on the mountain from there. Mm-hmm. Like in the middle, in the middle of the island, right? So I'm looking at up about we were like three thousand feet elevation up there. Wow, um, that's dramatic because it oh, yeah. literally is sea level at your last place, and yep. then you're. 3,000 feet above that. Yeah. Um, the the top of Maui is 10,023 feet high. What? Yeah. It I snowed did, up there last winter. I see, I knew that they had mountains there, but I had no clue there was that much vertical. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. The top of Jackson Hole Mountain Resort is 10,450. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. But the base, the, the valley floor here is 6,000. Yeah. So the, the, the rise is... Uh, only 4,000 feet, but that vertical rise is is literally 10,000 feet. You can ride a mountain bike all the way from the top, all the way down to the coast. Oh my God. Can you, can you take a car up to the top? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can drive all the way clear to the top. It's all Haleakala National Park. Um, Wow. It was one of my favorite places on the whole island because it's, it's barren. Uh, There's these weird silver sword plants that grow up there. And other than that, it's all just lava rock. And Are you like above the tree line then? Oh, way above the tree line, yeah. Okay. Maui has, uh, I believe, 11 different microclimates. So you can drive 20 minutes, be in a rainforest, and you can drive 20 minutes and be in a desert. And then you can drive like an hour up and be 10,000 feet above sea level. Is, uh, how do they get a, is it, is the desert formed by all the, Precipitation being dropped on the mountain, yep. and then the storm doesn't have anything else on the other side of it. Yep, exactly. Rain okay. shadow. Is, is that what it's called? Yeah, yep. uh, yeah. I knew. I learned about. I've learned about that through documentaries, and <clears throat> so that's why, like most of Wyoming is pretty dry, right. because they everything is dropped here in the Tetons or in mm-hmm. the Gravant Range, and then the rest of it is nothing. Yeah. Same with um, the Gobi Desert is on the backside of mm-hmm. the uh, what are the Himalayas. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Maui's an incredible place, um, and we loved it there. And, you know, I I don't know whether that's the end-all, be-all place. Jill really loves it there. She's a total beach person. Uh Um, I I really like it there, but it's so expensive to live there. (laughs) And what what I would really like is to have, you know, a big piece of land, have a big garage – you know, slash maybe a pole barn with a car lift in it and, you know, be able to do your redneck, to do my redneck shit. Yeah. Working on cars and all that kind of stuff. I love that. And, uh, you know, that just isn't in the cards for us there. So, or here, what's that? Or here, or here. Right. Exactly. I don't know why you didn't get any cheaper when you moved here. No, definitely not. Um, so yeah, just, it is what it is, but I love Maui. Um, I worked as a kayak guide there, um, and that was a whole new experience for me. I mean, I had experience with the charter fishing, you know, guiding that way. 
but uh, you know, I, I knew how to kayak and I knew how to snorkel and all that stuff. But there's just so much that you learn being a guide and being so hands-on with people that have no idea how to be outside or what to even how to kayak. I would take people out that didn't know how to swim or speak English. <laughs> and their goal is to get out there in the kayak and snorkel and everybody wants to see sea turtles. Yeah. That's the big thing. And it's easy enough to get people on sea turtles, but people that don't speak any English to give them instruction to be able to kayak on their own, you know, in their boat to get out to a spot where you can find the turtles and then getting a snorkel mask on them getting them in the water without freaking out. I mean, it's it can be challenging some days. Some days are a complete cakewalk and other days you just you don't know why you're there. Yeah. Was you so is your main role to just like uh, get them from the beach out to like a reef or something mm-hmm. where there might be some turtles or fish and then get them down in the water and then they find some stuff and then get them back. Right. And and taking photographs for them the whole time. Yeah. So the, the the Olympus TG4 is the camera that we use there. It was provided by the company that I worked for. Um, and the photos were included for free at the end of the tour. So it was my job to get the, all the equipment ready, get the guests knowledgeable about what they were going to see, take them out, get them in the water, show them the stuff, get pictures of them you know, with all the, the turtles and the fish and point out all the stuff. Yeah. And get them back alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was uh, it was a ton of fun. Um, you know, you get to see all the different species that live on the reef out there. You get to see reefs grow and die. Uh, you get to know certain fish that live on certain areas of the reef. Some days you go back and they're gone, and that's it. They they either got caught by somebody for the aquarium trade. Where they got eaten, oh. um, you know. And uh, during the winter time, we would do whale watching tours, and that was what was really the big draw there. Um, humpback whales migrate to Maui from Alaska. They feed in Alaska all summer. They swim about three thousand miles down to Maui. Uh, they give birth and breed there, um, and then they swim back. So they spend about four weeks in Maui, but they're there for about, I don't know, four, four month time span. The young ones show up first, the older ones show up last. They kind of cycle through, do their thing, and then they swim back up to Alaska. And we would take people out to see the whales. And, you know, some people came with the expectation that, you know, we might see whales on this tour. And those were always the best because if you're there within the whale season, you're going to see a whale, whether it's a half mile away or 10 feet off the side of the boat, you're going to see one. It was the people that expected it to be like SeaWorld that were the tough ones. Uh And uh, I'll never forget. I had a French couple. We got out, we'd been out for like 30 minutes and we had two whales that were courting come, you know, 30 feet off the side of the boat, come up, breathe, fluke dive where they stick their tail up in the air, dive back down and go off. And uh, once they fluke dove, you know, they're, they're kind of doing their thing. They're going off. And I said to them, I said, wow, that was cool, wasn't it? And they turned to me and they go, that was it? And I was like, what do you mean that was it? Like, 
I was a 40 foot animal, you know, 30 feet away from your kayak. Yeah. And they were like, well, we thought it was going to come up and play with the boat. And I was like, this is the sea world. That whale doesn't give a shit that you're here. Yeah. That whale swam 3000 miles from Hawaii or from Alaska down to here to give birth, maybe breed if it's a female, or I'm sorry, give birth if it's a female, maybe breed if it's a male and swim back that, that whale don't care that you're here yeah and uh you know it was all it was all perspective for people is it is that in uh in like a regular boat or is that in the kayaks in the kayaks oh did you ever have any close calls where they like breached close to you oh yeah I had close breaches um i had one that came up and flipped over guests uh <laughs> with its tail be like, is that good enough for you? Right, exactly. Those those guests were stoked. They couldn't believe it. That yeah. was one of the best days I ever had. Um, but they're they're very smart animals, and they're very aware of how big they are, and they're very aware of their surroundings. Oh. And I mean, uh, we would have mothers with newborn calves come up and just check out the kayaks. <clears throat> wow. And uh, you know, it was. It, when you're that close to an animal that's that big and it comes up and you can see its eye look at you, it's pretty incredible. It puts things into perspective of how small you actually are. Yeah, you get that with any animal, really. Like out here, if um, you get close enough to a moose or yeah, oh, yeah. safely close to a moose <laughs> in your car and you see them look at you, you're like, whoa. Cause, or, or, you know, I've had that with... Um, antelope or and bison and elk and moose and all the animals around here when they look at you and acknowledge like that mm -hmm. you're there it's like a different feeling oh yeah for sure because it's not just like a thing you see in a picture it's like another being then mm -hmm. you see it's, it's interacting with you at that point and yeah it knows that you're you're a presence there and and it it has control of the situation <laughs> yeah you're pretty uh you, you're not going to do anything against the moose or a whale yeah, for definitely. That matter. But uh, I don't know. We had one that came up. You know, it was the one that flipped over the guests. And uh, I'll show you a picture right here. That was the whale. It, and you can scroll through those ones. Wow. But, uh, you know, it came right up under the kayaks. And, and it, yeah, it, it spy hopped. That's where they pull, pull their face up out of the water, basically. Uh -huh. And their eyes are above the water. And they're looking at what's around. They don't have great eyesight, but they well enough to see things. What island is that behind that? That's Maui behind that. Okay, that's dramatic. That's like what the the base of the Grand looks like. That that mm -hmm. much vertical rise that oh, fast. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So for this this picture I'm looking at, it's a kayaker on the water, a, a kayak, and then literally touching the side of it is the nose of uh, what kind of whale is this? Humpback. Whale. A humpback whale. Out of nowhere. This is incredible. That's one where a, you can see like a fin like pushing the kayak. Yeah. How do they, when they say, over. when you say tip it, did, how do they tip it? Did they go up and just like smack it with their That fin, wasn't or? the one that tipped. No. So that whale interacted with us for about a half hour. And right there it pushed that. <laughs> oh. That was, I remember when that happened. That was wild. Yeah. That was, that was crazy. We can get into that. Yeah. But the whale pushed that girl's kayak out of the way with its fin. Um, and then it came up right at the end. It just came up to the guest's kayak with its tail and just lifted it over. And after that, it just swam off. 
It was what do you think? What do you down. think it was doing? Just like checking to see if it was da- that the kayak was a danger. Or? It was playing with us. It was playing. a young one. It was probably a yearling. A playful whale. Yeah, playful whale. The the young ones are playful. They'll actually mess with you down there. Um, they 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 don't reach sexual maturity until they're about eight years old, but they'll still migrate down to Maui and they just kind of bop around and you know see what's going on. And they're not really gonna breed. So they are playful. Mm-hmm. And I've had plenty of whales mess with the kayaks, chase, follow us around, you know, all kinds of stuff. So wow. it was really cool. But that other photo that you saw was the uh, yeah, missile. So I, I was scrolling through his pictures, and if anyone remembers back, when was that? Oh, God. I, a couple years ago. A few years ago. A few yeah. years ago. Back when North Korea was the boogeyman. There was, yeah, there was a scare where. Maybe you can explain it better, but somebody like pressed the wrong button in the <laughs> missile alert system. So people in Hawaii thought there was a ballistic missile heading towards the island. We got a text. It was at like, I want to say it was at like. Was it at night? No, it was in the morning. I want to say it was like 830 in the morning. Oh. And I wasn't working that day. <clears throat> Jill was off too. We were still in bed. Um and the phone makes, you know, it makes that crazy noise if you get like an Amber Alert thing or yeah. whatever. And now, now they have a, a national alert text system too. Right. It basically that. And, and I, you know, Jill, we kind of like, are like, oh, what is that? And I look at my phone and it, it reads, emergency alert, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. <laughs> And I'm, I'm a big conspiracy theorist. Oh, and, that's great. Uh, so am I. <laughs> so I look at it, and I'm like, oh, bullshit. And I chuck my phone off you know, the side of the bed, and, and Joel was like, well, what was that? And I was like, oh, nothing. Don't Just worry about missile. it. I didn't tell her what it was because I didn't really think it was anything, and I didn't want to scare her. And so you know, I was laying there, and I'd say like 10 minutes later, maybe not even, a uh, buddy of mine, Curtis, calls me on the phone. And he's freaking out. I don't know why he called me. I guess he thought that I had some sort of wisdom to this kind of thing. Yeah. But he's like, what should I do? I, I'm freaking out. I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm like, Curtis, there ain't nothing you can do. If there's actually a nuke coming this way, you're screwed either way. So what does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so he's like, I, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you're making other phone calls, and uh, and so, you know, hanging out, and I guess a half hour later, we got another text that said it was a false alarm, and, you know, yeah, it was nothing, which I assumed, but people, it really scared a lot of people out there. I mean, it it really messed with people. I mean, it, for for weeks afterwards, people were different. I mean, it, like doomsday prepping? Oh, no, not doomsday prepping, just they... they I guess they thought that, you know, they had a second lease on life. Oh. Um, people over on Oahu, because that's where all the military installations are out there. Yeah. Uh, they freaked out. People were down in, like, man. people opened up manhole covers and got, like, under the street and shit mm. out there. Uh, they really, because if they're going to send a nuke that way, that's where they're going to aim. Yeah. Um, but why is North Korea going to send a nuke out to Hawaii? Like, I... Do you and I are smart enough to know yeah. that they're smart enough to know that if they did that, we'd wipe them off the planet. Yeah, we'd send a thousand nukes to them. Exactly. In a second later. We actually probably have some sort of anti-missile oh, something. Oh, I'm sure. 
that could I'm take sure. it out if we saw it because we're always gonna we're always looking at North Korea. Exactly. So we could see anything that happens. Exactly. Um, but yeah. But it was that's, interesting. But wasn't that's it for sure? Was was that was that the right thing in in um, who's ever was on the alert system like press the wrong button? Right? That's was what that the they, thing? Yeah, that's what they fed everybody. That's a bunch. Of do you think they? Yeah. Do you think something actually happened, or what do you? Why do you think that went out? I'm not sure why that went out. I, Jill calls me crazy for this, but I'm, I'm a conspiracy theorist, and I think they were just messing with people. I think that they wanted to. They wanted to scare people. They wanted this propaganda that North Korea is this bad influence that you know we can't trust them, and they're the boogeyman, and you know this, that, and the other. Who knows? Maybe something tripped an alarm. And somebody sent it out. They said that they fired whoever actually sent the text out. Yeah. It's like, come on. They can say whatever they want. They yeah. can say whatever they want. Who and who's gonna know any better? Yeah. So you so you think maybe it was like uh I mean I, I don't remember that at that time. Was that when like when when Trump was trying to talk with Kim Jong un a lot? It was, it was before, kind of that? before that. Yeah, it was before that. Um so it could have been like a a propaganda attempt to be like to build them up to be like this is important that Trump talks to them could have been yeah, yeah for sure I've kind of viewed most recently North Korea as being like the poor boogeyman like oh, they want to be totally scary not. but they don't really have any resources to be scary no they can't trade with anybody else I mean yeah well they can trade with China, China but that's what, do they, what do they have to trade they don't have any exports yeah they don't have any money. their people are starving and in work camps right so, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think the whole thing is a big, big misunderstanding. And, yeah. And I don't, well, I, who knows? I don't know. No, none of us know. None of us know. Unless you were to right. become president, we probably won't ever know. <laughs> right, exactly. Or unless we get to go over there or something. But yeah. I, I don't think they're as bad as, as they come across. I mean, yeah, they're a communist country and, and that's shitty, but I don't know. What are they going to do? Well, I think they want to be bad. But I don't think they have. Well, that but communism be. in that way, actually, communism in no way works. <laughs> Let me get on the record. Communism in no way works. The way they're running their country doesn't allow them to have any sort of resources to be actually scary. Right. Like China's actually scary because they're communism. They're communists and have resources. Oh, like a, yeah. What are they like? Number two economy in the world. They hold all of our debt. That's fake news. I mean, they're never going to... What does that even mean? Well, we what, have data of other countries, well, too. Well, how are they going to act upon it, is the yeah. thing. But the, what, what interests me is the whole thing with Huawei and oh, yeah. with the 5G thing. They could really screw us with that. If they have control over all of our internet, because so many things now are tied to the internet. Yeah. And even everything. more things are going to be. Yeah. And if they shut that down yeah. on us, banking, you know... Money transfer, all that kind of stuff. That could, that could be a big deal. Most of that, um, that's actually something I have a lot of expertise in. The company I have, that I work for, I have hardly any. Yeah. I've... So the company that I work for, it's called FIS. Mm. So it's a provider of like, um, uh, banking banking te- technology. Okay. So like the core pro- core processing platform. That a bank would use. So every every computer screen that a bank needs to use is a, mm. called a core processor. Okay. And we sell that. So we have clients. You know, some of the biggest banks in the world are our clients. Them, the smallest banks. Everyone has some of our stuff. We're the biggest company in that space. 
So that's all run. We have like, you know, client support stuff overseas, but it's mostly run out of um, a few different offices here in America. Mm. So that's that specific thing. I don't think would be affected. I mean, maybe the, maybe the networking part of it could be mm. affected by um, a, a third party or a bad party. Yeah. But the actual processing of stuff, it's it's us and companies like us. Okay. So I guess there has, there's accountability there within the U.S. or yeah, all that sort of thing, which I would imagine. Yeah, and we have all of our um, data centers like in America too, and like um, Milwaukee and Arkansas, like stuff away from the coast, so it's not like yeah. hurricane or or earthquake uh, oh, wow. spots. Yeah, it's strategic where they put data centers. It that's sounds boring when it's like. Oh, we're gonna put a data center in Milwaukee, but it's like that's on purpose because it's Milwaukee. I mean, uh, the Midwest may be a tornado, but not Milwaukee. It's near the it's near like Michigan, so right? That will stop any big sto- any tornado. Huh. I think that's interesting because not I, you know in California, it's not in not in Florida. Well, we do have some stuff in Florida, but they're starting to move it towards like uh, inner America. Yeah. Where nothing happens other than big wind. Yeah. You can build buildings that are protected against that. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that is interesting to me because I'm not a tech guy at all. I mean, mm-hmm. I, sh- the, you're looking at the computer that I have. That's an iPhone 7. <laughs> and I know how to get on the internet on that thing. I can pay my bills on it. I can't download a lot of apps because I don't have iOS, whatever the latest version is. Yeah. Um, but I'm interested in that stuff to some degree but I just don't really care to learn it. Yeah, man, I'd, I'd love to talk you through it. Maybe not, maybe off the podcast, we can yeah. just talk through like what the kind of stuff that's going on that I deal with every day. But yeah, it's really interesting. Cause it, yeah, it's like, that's why I like being in the space and wanted to get in the space. Cause it's like, it's kind of a, it's a company that almost everyone in America interacts with almost daily. Right. But you never know it. Mm. So it's like the, back office operations of all these institutions in America that like your mobile banking would yeah. like probably is my company starting it started it and run it for your bank. Wow. I don't even know who you who you bank with, but I can say probably that. It's pretty crazy how money is all just numbers on screens these days. Yeah, it's turning more and more into like like in Star Wars that we're like, you have we don't accept like in Star Wars one. <laughs> We don't accept Republic credits. And that's like what we're having. We're just moving to re- Republic credits. Right. Because it's just numbers on a phone or on a screen. It's it's odd. Which I'm all for because like – You're in the business of it. Yeah, I'm in the business of it. I have, I'm have i a shareholder of my company. Like right. I want that to succeed and want more transactions to be digital because then there will be more of business. Course. But even just like as a consumer part, point of it, like – as long as it's protected and not hackable to a certain extent or secured or insured so that you know, if you do get hacked, you can get your money back. Mm. I mean, it's just so much more convenient. You don't have to worry about cash. You don't have to worry about change. Like today I used cash to buy, to buy these beers because I just had a 20 on me. I was like, all right, I'll use this. And I was like, what do I do with these freaking dimes now? <laughs> <laughs> they sit in a pile on my dresser is what they do. Yeah, like I have some in my truck. But uh, and I was when I put him in there, I was like, oh, you know, for for parking or something. But <laughs> I never drove the truck into Minneapolis when I lived there right. to park there. And even that, you can use a credit card. 
And here, there's almost no pay to park. So maybe I just I'm just carrying around change for no reason. You've got a good point there on change. I, and I, you know, I I'm the type of person where I would rather have all my cash under my mattress, mm. which I know is very backwoods redneck of me. But I I have very little trust in banks, and that's the skeptic or the you would call it but I'm skeptical of banks and I'm skeptical of, of all the money being on computers and I hate that the dollar is not backed by gold anymore I think yeah. it, it being a fiat currency yeah it has its advantages but uh, I don't think it's a good thing it's backed by the belief in it right the belief that we'll screw whoever tries to mess with it which we did that was the Iraq war yeah, and can, and we will. We, and we always will. will. Oh, absolutely. Because America. That's right. <laughs> we've got the that. biggest army. We'll bully whoever we need to mm-hmm. to make sure that the dollar is number one. Yeah. But back to China, that's how that could uh, – China threatens the dollar. They do. I, and I just – but I just think that, you know, maybe it's my belief in, in capitalism and freedom – that says that even them having a semi-successful, I mean, they're kind of not fully communist because they have right. enterprise and big, big businesses, mm. but they're, but they're all their businesses are connected to the government. Exactly. Um, so maybe it's my belief in capitalism that that just won't work out in the long run. If we keep buying their shit, it will. Yeah. We're almost, <laughs> our capitalism is almost, helping their communism because we keep wanting to manufacture things there. Right. It's cheap. That allows them to just be whatever kind of government they want because they know they have our, our ex, uh, they can export stuff to us. Right. We've got the dollars and they've got the wherewithal to make the stuff. Yeah. yeah the man hours. Right. And more and more of the stuff that comes out of China is pretty high quality. They make some nice stuff now. Yeah. It's no longer like those, uh, you know, Tourist, we'll be, we'll tourist be souvenirs, flying dog, flying rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. Yeah, like um, so. There's a bunch of the episodes, and um, were you here the other day? You were here. Were, was our our Steel buddies were here, right? Uh, one of them, uh, Alex. Alex, yeah. yeah. Um, so they all work. All of our friends work at Steel, and have you, you know, any of their stuff? I don't own any of their stuff. I've, I see it around all the time. Yeah, so it's it's just really good, like technical outerwear. Uh, you know, technical pants, mm-hmm. skiing shells, down jackets, down vests, like really, really good quality stuff. But it's all manufactured in um, Thailand or or China. Of course. So that's to your point of like, they make really good stuff there now. Like this is really high quality oh, yeah. outerwear that gets tested here in the Tetons. Right. But is made <laughs> for a cent an hour yeah. by like a Chinese kid. Yep. Or something. Oh yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to talk bad about steel, but that's just the stereotype, <laughs> right? That's how all that stuff is. That's that's where that iPhone was made. Yeah, all of it. Designed in California, made in Ca- or made in China. Yeah, I asked, and uh, Jeff, one of the guys there, he's like a product developer. I asked him, like, could we ever? Could America ever actually manufacture? You know, a, a large fraction of what we send to China and India and Thailand to get manufactured. And he said, probably not. It would just take years of like infrastructure building up and people actually want to do those jobs. People don't want to work. Yeah. 
people don't want to do that shit here. Yeah, we have, an, yeah, we have an issue with like trade jobs too. Right. Why would you? When you can get a government check, yeah. have have eight kids, collect welfare. Why would you want to do that? Yeah. That's the problem. Maybe it'll be like private prisons. Oh, we'll do God. that. I I heard something that Victoria's Secret makes their bras in in private prisons. Really? Yeah, I, I don't know. I never where heard, I heard that. that. Let's look that up. I don't know where I heard that, but I heard that somewhere that Victoria's Secret was a huge uh, user of uh, prison labor. Searching Victoria's Secret prison labor. Let's see. So I think it's funny a bunch of bunch of convicts making bras, yeah. playing with lace and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. The sexy things that we see. <laughs> um. Yeah, in in the nineties. <laughs> Is it true? Yeah, in the nineties <laughs> in South Carolina. Um inmates who were hired by a subcontractor in the nineteen nineties to stitch Victoria's Secrets uh lingerie prisoners in the past two decades have packaged or assembled everything from Starbucks coffee beans to Shelby Cobra sports cars. Nintendo Game Boys, Microsoft Mouses, and Eddie Bauer clothing. Wow. Inmates Manning phone banks have taken airline at reservations and even made calls on behalf of political candidates. No wow. shit. I had no idea. A lot of stuff. I mean, if they get to the right, like if it's like a white collar prison, like they're probably just oh, intellectual, like those are they the can guys speak that are making totally calls. Fine. Right, right. Yeah. It's not the, the it's not the rapist murderer right. who's doing it, probably. No. Hopefully. No, probably. Hopefully. Hopefully. I don't know. I worked in a prison one summer uh, in Whoa. high school. Uh, I didn't work for the prison. I worked for a uh, welding company that was doing steam fitting. So we were basically, we had a project. We were tying in their boiler room to one of the uh, uh, cell blocks. And uh, so I was a welder's assistant. And man, I'll never forget that. I, shit, I learned to die on the run before I go to prison. (laughs) I will not end up in one of them places, man. And it was a great, great too, learning experience. You're too pretty to be in prison. I know. Oh, man. I So, like, my third day there, the guys at, at work thought it would be funny to send me in through the cell block to go get a reading off some gauge that they didn't actually need. But they had one of the security guards, you know, take me through this area. And, you know, I'm, I'm right there. All the prisoners can see me and stuff. And they're yelling all this stuff at me. And I'm just like, oh, my God. This is crazy. I gotta get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> did you have the long hair like you do now? No, I did not have the long hair like uh, I do I can now. just imagine what they were calling oh out to you if you had the God. long hair. Like, I was just hey, sugar, bad. come come oh, over it here. Was just as bad without the long. I can't even imagine what they had to come up with with the long hair. <laughs> but yeah, them them boys belong in there. Yeah. Oh man, that was boy. It was rough. I'll never end up in one of those places. I, I'd rather die on the run than than end up there. Well, those are really easy way to not have run up a jail. Right, don't don't do break the law. Right, exactly. Don't do bad shit. So. Yeah. I think the worst thing that I do is speed on occasion. And that, that's pretty much about it these days. I've, I've toned down quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. I used to, Yeah. I, I think probably just speeding. Wyoming we is pretty... Get, we don't need to get to the legal shit. Yeah, we don't get, get it on the podcast. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> Let's go on. New subject. Yeah. So you're in, you're living in Hawaii. Yep. So. And then you, the next stop is here. So how did you go from being one, being in a, 
a tropical island cool. paradise yeah. to Indeed. living in the harshest weather area of uh, certainly America. Yeah. Maybe even, maybe even parts, not the world, but North America for sure. Um, so, you know, we were living in Hawaii. We loved it there. And it just came down to the, the, the point where, you know, I felt like we were just spinning our wheels. We're renting a house that's super expensive. The rent doesn't even cover the mortgage of the house that we're living in. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm just like, you know, what are we doing here? You know, I, Jill's working as a nurse. That's her career, which is great. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a guide and it doesn't pay but peanuts and yeah, I'm having a great time doing it, but I'm starting to get jaded by it and, uh, it's starting to get old. And so we decided, well, let's, uh, let's move. So we went back to Maryland. We stayed with my uh, dad and stepmom for about a month, which was great. They were totally willing to take us in and have us there. You know, we helped out around the house. My dad was putting the addition on. I did all the paint work and stuff. Um, and Jill decided, well, let's do travel nursing so we can move around, Yeah. She, which is awesome. Did she, like, find a, a, comp- a travel nurse company to help she with that? She was working with a company before that she went out to Hawaii with. And then she ended up just being part or full time in Hawaii, yeah. and so she got back with them, and uh, you know we were just looking for places that were close to Maryland uh, to first you know go to because while we were in Maryland we were setting this whole thing up. We bought the SUV, uh, we got the tent, we got everything that we needed to live on the road, and um, and the first the first job that came up that was day shift. Because Jill hates night shift, even though she's working it here for yeah. me, um, it was Machias, Maine, and so I said, "Well, Maine's cool. I've I've never been there, but I yeah. hear it's cool there. Let's go." A lot of woods, a lot of nature, exactly. A lot of open space. You know, it should be cool. And she's like, "Oh, all right. Let's go up to Maine. It's close to Boston. She can go see her family and stuff." So that's what we did. We ended up in Machias, Maine for three months. Now, I'm sure nobody listening to this podcast lives in Machias, Maine, or has probably even never heard of Machias, Maine. I've never. I'm going to look it up. <clears throat> look it up. It's, uh, I want to say the population was maybe 2,000 people, and that's for the county. Is it, it's not Machias Port. Uh, Machias Port is in Machias, Maine. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what comes up. Yep, you're there. Okay. So there's Canada right there. Yeah. So we're like a half hour from the Canadian border. Yeah. So so he so it's like kind of it's like right on the ocean. Yep. Or the Gulf of Maine actually is what it says here. But like right next to um, the the border of Canada. Um. So he's like way up there. Like that's that's very it's remote. Way, it's Let's way see. up in the boonies. The Minnesota listeners, it's pretty much the same. Uh, uh, is it latitude or longitude? For north and south. I want to say it's latitude. Same distance north as like Minneapolis. Pretty much. But like right next to Canada. Right next to Canada. So we get up there and, uh, you know, we drive up and it's bug season when we get there. And I mean, I've never seen bugs like that before. (laughs) A pick up and carry off. Oh, you ain't kidding. They have black flies there. They will suck you dry of blood. Mosquitoes are terrible. And we're like, this place is awesome. It's beautiful up here. But we can't be outside. 
because the bugs will just literally tear you to pieces. It was that bad. And uh, so we got through bug season that lasted for about a month while we were up there. And uh, it was really hard for me to find work. Mm-hmm. Jill at the hospital, the hospital is real podunk, real little, um, but everybody up in Machias, Maine is so friendly. Mm-hmm. Those, out of all the places that I've ever lived, the people up in northern Maine are the friendliest by a lot. They are the poorest by a lot that I've ever lived around, uh-huh. but they are the friendliest by a lot. I mean, Jill, More than like the Aloha spirit in Hawaii? The Aloha spirit's weird over there. So you've got a lot of white people that have moved out there. A lot of them moved out in the 70s when it was cheap to live there, you know, the hippies. Yeah. Those people now have more money than God because they <laughs> bought land out there. And then you've got you've got the white people that have moved out there that have a ton of money from California. They don't have the lost spirit. They're still California people. Yeah. And you've got the local people, the Hawaiians. And the Hawaiians have resentment against all the other people who have moved there because they can't buy property there anymore. Mm -hmm. They've been priced out and they have zero um, say in government. All the elected officials look Hawaiian, but they're all Japanese. Mm -hmm. And the Hawaiian people have just been stepped on and stepped on and stepped on. It's the same thing with any Native American. Yeah. And uh, they are very, very friendly people. But it takes a long time for you to get to know them. Jill at the hospital there worked with a lot of Hawaiian people. And it took a long time. But she she has great friends that she still talks to from back there. Um, I have some friends from work that I you know still on occasion talk to. Um, they're extremely friendly people. But it takes a long time to get to know them. Yeah. Because they don't trust you off the bat. And I don't blame them at all. Yeah. I mean, that's just <clears throat> the way it is. But the people up in Machias, Maine, friendly, laid back, um, not much money up there. I mean, Jill would have patients who didn't have running water at home. Oh, my that God. That came in to, get, to, you know, give birth. Have a baby. Have a baby and go home. And they're like, all right, well, what, what should I do? And Jill's like, know like you got, you're gonna have to have fresh water like for sanitation and stuff with the baby and yeah it's it's tough up there oh. the the two well there's three industries there's logging there's lobster fishing and there's blueberry harvesting yeah and that's about it and that's what i did while i was there i finally found work um for this tiny family farm um uh harvesting blueberries um it was uh, it was quite the experience. It was uh, Welch Farm um, in Machias, Maine, and uh, I worked for a I believe fourth generation blueberry farmer. Uh, it was Is that a, different than like Welch's, like the it's way different juice? than Welch's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, they had about 180 acres up there, family farm, and uh, this guy's name was Wayne, who I met. I was basically, I had looked for work all over the place, could not find any. And um, I was just driving down the road, saw his farm, saw a phone number on the side of the farm, on the barn, and I called it and I said, hey, you looking for anybody? And he said, well, I was, actually I am. 
because they have a really hard time finding people to work these farm jobs. Mm. There's a lot of people our age up there. A lot of them are into drugs, and a lot of them aren't fit to work. And uh, so I met him, and he said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to have you. So, you know, did not make much money up there at all. Mm. But it, it really, it ended up not being about the money at all um, with this job. It, it, Wayne was very interested in teaching me blueberry farming and teaching me about the local culture and about his family and blueberry farming. I mean, he had the original tractor from 1918 <laughs> that <laughs> they had bought for that farm when they had acquired the farm. Wow. It was still in the barn. It, it didn't run. And he has said, oh, yeah, it's my goal to, to one day to you know restore that tractor back to running. And it, it's a good thing that I wasn't there over the wintertime because I, I had to tore that tractor apart and got it running. Um, wow. But uh, it, it was just, it was cool. It was a, it was a hell of an experience. I, I knew nothing about blueberry farming. And uh, by the end, I learned everything about blueberry farming. And uh, it's hard work. And there's not much money in it anymore, especially with the China tariffs. Believe it or not, the Chinese buy most of the wild blueberries that come out of Maine. Um, For what? I have like no just idea. To eat, I guess just to eat. I guess because there's so many people out there and they like to eat blueberries. I, yeah. I don't That's know. That's weird. Apparently they process a lot of these blueberries. They're all, most all of them that come out of Maine are flash frozen and, you know, packaged and sent wherever. They get put into baked goods and syrups and flavorings and all that kind of stuff. Um, so Wayne's farm was very small. He had a fresh pack operation where he sold fresh blueberries to the public. He also sold them to the local restaurant. They made blueberry pie out of them. Um, and it, it was it was a really cool experience. It was frustrating at times because the farm was so poor. The, uh, the harvester that I ran would break down all the time. And he had this shed that had, you know, random nuts and bolts and tools in it. And it was my job to patch up the tractor and get it back out there in the field. And, you know, we both kind of got lucky at the same time. He got lucky to find me because um, I could fix the tractor and, and I was gung-ho for it. And I didn't really, I wasn't in it for the money. I wanted to see him succeed and, you know, make it a productive harvest and, I was lucky that he took me on and I had something to do and it was interesting and, and I really liked it. It was it was not the most fun job that I've ever had, but it was very unique and it definitely made the main experience. Yeah, that's awesome. You did a lot of like uh, random, random, like kind of random jobs, but they're mm -hmm. all like, it seems that you take a lot out of them, out of each individual thing. I try to. Yeah, something different out of all of them. Uh, and so far hasn't even really led to the next one, but it's always just like bettering yourself, whether it's like, you know, being out in nature, like mm -hmm. actually all these jobs are, or like learning a new trade or like learning how to fix a tractor or something like that. Like, yeah. it seems like you're, and that's, that's you get a lot of I'm, these random jobs. That's what I'm going for. These jobs don't pay much that I'm doing. So the knowledge that I gain from the, the work is more is worth more to me than the paycheck is right now. Mm -hmm. I've got enough money. I can live comfortably. You know, I went to the grocery store before I came here. I bought groceries. I, I can eat. Yeah. 
And you know, I, you can afford to live in Jackson. I can that afford says to live a lot. in Jack. Well, we got really lucky with the house that we're at here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, can afford to live here, and uh, and luckily this job, the the snowmaking job, isn't bad because we get to work overtime. Um, our set work week is sixty hours a week. Um, Forty five of that is regular time, and then however much we want to work after that is time and a half. So if you're willing to go there and put in a lot of hours, you can make pretty decent money at it. Yeah. So. And you know the resort has the money to pay you. It's oh not like a small God. operation like you've been in the past where you're like, they might not have the money to pay me. Right. Uh, like if I do extra. Right. Here, it's they, they got so much money to throw around. It, yeah. Yeah. It don't matter. <laughs> what so they then, pay me is nothing. Yeah. So then finally, from Maine, that's when you came here. So mm-hmm. how did you... Start the process of being like, we want to go to Jackson over like any other place yeah. or, you know, that, tell that story. So we were basically, you know, I, I love to ski and snowboard and I've always wanted to live in the mountains for winter. <clears throat> Jill was kind of apprehensive, but she was willing to go along with it. And um, so we started looking for places to live and uh, looking at travel nurse jobs out west we had found several, but they just weren't quite right. And uh, it got to the point where Jill was just starting to call random hospitals. And I think she actually called Taylor. Yeah. Or she spoke to Taylor on the phone when she had originally called the hospital here. Yeah. She was just calling to see if they needed anybody. And, you know, we, we really didn't think that anything would come of it. Um, I guess Taylor had given her number to somebody and. They called Jill back, and they said, well, we might need somebody if this person leaves. We're not really sure. We'll let you know in a week. Uh-huh. And we figured, ah, we're never going to hear from them. Yeah. Sure enough, they called back, and they were like, yeah, yeah if, come. if you want to come, you got a job. Come here, man. And so we got <laughs> she got the job out here, and that's where we ended up. That's awesome. Just kind of a cold call. I had been – so the only reason that I knew – Jackson was cool or that I wanted to be here was a trip that I had gone on um, after graduating from high school with my mom and her then husband. Um, We came out here and I, you know, we did the whole Yellowstone thing and I was in Jackson Hole for maybe like half a day Mm -hmm. and, you know, just walking around town and seeing the Grand Tetons and I was just, I, I had said to myself, I'm going to come back here at some point. That, that's for sure. I'm going to come back here. This place is awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, here I am. It's pretty cool for it to come full circle. I remember we were driving from you know east out to here. I, I don't know what road we were on. I don't know what mountains we were coming through. But when you're driving out here from the east, you come through the mountains, I guess. Togety Pass. Togety Pass, yeah. okay. So we're coming through there, and you get that first view of the Tetons. Oh, yeah. And I remember seeing them and be like, I was driving, Jill was riding, and uh, I'd be like, oh, my God. And she was like, what? I was like, look. And she, yeah, they're oh, just there. There yeah. they are. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. we, we Taylor and I just recorded a podcast last night, and she says it's just the same thing, that it's you go over that pass, and there, there's Incredible. that moment. It's right uh, before you pass Togadee Mountain Lodge. There's a lodge up there. Mm. 
and you're just up super high, and then out of nowhere, the grand and the, the big three yeah. just pop out of yeah, there out they of are. nowhere, and they're just like lined up perfectly with the road. Yep. The grand is. Yep. We're trying yeah. to take pictures, and you you can't get a picture from that far away. You you can't do it any justice. There's a lot of Instagram that uh, Instagram pictures of that exact spot. There's oh like, really? There's like five spots in the valley here that you just see nonstop on Instagram. Oh okay. And that's one of them. Okay. I guess you gotta have a better camera than the. Yeah, iPhone different lens. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> iPhones for sure could not do it, but like a longer lens. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that was unbelievable when we first saw, saw those mountains. Julie had never been out here before. She had no idea. She was just going off of what I had told her about the half day that I had spent <laughs> out here. You guys are like, like you going out to live with her in Hawaii, or just like a go at the flow, and <laughs> then her just like leap of faith. What, yeah, yeah, you. <laughs> really okay with big leaps of faith and her the same just listening to your half day experience about here yeah which yep. i'm sure wasn't even to the full extent of how great this place oh, is. oh no i i didn't even i had no idea yeah it, it was uh it was pretty crazy i mean she's uh she's something else she's willing to go and just go for it and the thing that i've learned through all these moves and all this uncertainty is things work themselves out mm -hmm. they have to <laughs> yeah you know if you're willing to work hard and you're you're somewhat personable you can make it anywhere yeah if you want to work hard and you're there for the right reasons right like whatever it, whether it's karma or whatever like stuff will just work out mm -hmm. you know it always does yeah that's why people who want to move out places shouldn't fear it yeah because things always work out and you know, in this country, there's so much opportunity that you know you're not going to starve in the street. Yeah, it's just even know. some of the some of the you know worst cities, like you can still make a living and exactly. you're not going to die. Right, exactly. And it's so funny. Every time I go back home, I see people that I went to high school with, you know, out at the local bar and stuff. And last time I was there. Sure enough, somebody comes up to me. They go, well, "How how did you how did you do it? How did you get out of here? Like, how did you move?" And I always tell them, you know, you just gotta sell your stuff. You don't even have to do that. You can put it in storage, I guess. But just yeah, if you're break with your free parents, of your whatever. Yeah, break free of your belongings and go for it. Have the balls to do it, and that's that's the biggest thing is is that initial. All right, I'm I'm gonna do this. Like I'm going. Yeah, yeah. Once you decide in your own head, something's gonna happen. Something like that is gonna happen. Like it's really easy to for it to happen. Then. Yeah, yeah. It is. You know, you you, you set a goal and you save up some money and you do it. And that's that's that. And it's I don't know. Too many people make excuses to be comfortably. Uh, what do I like to? There's a saying that I like to say. Oh, comfortably miserable. Comfortably miserable. Yeah, <laughs> I know plenty of people who are who are like that. Yeah, they got their good job. They're maybe they're around the city that they grew up in, or went near went where they, near they went to where they went to college yep. in, and then they just kind of do that uh, that those life cycle things where it's like, all right, well, we graduated college, now we now we get married, and yep. now we have a house, yep. and we're really comfortable because they have great they have great jobs, but they're not. You know, they may not be as happy as they potentially could be. Right. Which, there's nothing wrong with staying in the same town that you grow up in. You have yeah. so many if ties that fully, there. If that totally fulfills you, then it 
that it's the right thing. Right. And some people are a lot closer with their families than I am. I, I'm an only child. And, you know, even though I say Justin is my older brother, he's mm-hmm. not by blood. Um, but, yeah, I'm an only child. And my dad is super supportive of all the stuff that I do because he wishes he did, that he did it back mm-hmm. when he was my age. My mom, she wishes that I lived right down the street. Yeah. But, you know, that's just the way it is. So, and I, I understand for people who are super close to their families and can't break away from that. And I get that, you know, that's cool. But for those who, who want to see stuff, you can always go back and visit. Yeah. <laughs> and especially in today's, with today's technology, like, oh, you can FaceTime and get a lot of, yeah, I a lot of, my old man today. yeah, a lot of quality interaction with people that aren't next to you. Yep. Every single day, really easily. Super easy. Where, like, if you moved here in, like, the 50s, like, you were freaking writing letters. Writing a letter, yeah. And it yeah. might show up there two weeks from now. Yeah, especially with the mail around here. Do you guys have a mailbox at your house? <laughs> we, <laughs> we have one of those. We have a mailbox, but it's not, like, in front of the house. Uh-huh. It's, like, like a, in a... In a bank? Mailbox bank? Yes, yes. And, and we didn't know that when we first moved out here. And we had ordered some uh, some wool clothes, some like base layers, mm-hmm. and we had them sent to the house, and they got sent back. And we're like, "What the hell? Why did they get sent back?" And we didn't put box C nine on oh, the yeah. package, and yeah, we had to trace them down. It, it was a huge mess. But yes, we have a we have a mailbox, which is weird that a lot of people don't have mailboxes here. You're the first person. Meet. That I've that I know here that lives in Jackson that has one. Yeah, nobody has one. <laughs> like <laughs> the th- my main friends. Like so, um, Noah lives connected to the bird. Okay, connected to the bird. Uh, in town. The bird. It's south of town at the bar. Okay. He lives in an apartment attached to, the, to this bar. Okay. So, but he doesn't have a mailbox. Um, Jeff, another guy, he has an apartment that's like above this like workshop. No mailbox. Yeah. Um. Alex, you met. Mm-hmm. He lives in a house, rents a ho- rents the bottom level of a house in the smack in the middle of town by Snow King. Yeah, he doesn't have a, mail- have a mailbox. <laughs> then us up here, we have our own house on a nice big yard, um, but because we're up the, this hill, no mailbox. No mailbox. So we all have PO boxes, and these all these prints behind you, we ordered them from Costco. Yeah, and they. <laughs> They went. They got delivered. One set of them got delivered to the the post office, All right. like USPS. Okay. One set got delivered to UPS, and then one set got delivered to FedEx. Oh. So geez. Taylor, when she went and got them, she had to go three different locations for the same order. That's ridiculous. And it was just, and they all came in similar sized boxes. <laughs> it's like, what is going on with this mail here? It's obscene. It's that, it's crazy. It's bizarre. Have you, so Costco does metal prints yeah yeah and i actually did um quite a few for christmas gifts of you know underwater photos that i had taken mm-hmm. on that guide job and they came out incredible yeah these ones too we, this yeah, is we've ordered prints too. like yeah. just paper prints and framed them but we tried these ones this time they're incredible they're cheap yeah they're not like these what those those things are so big they're like the size of my t- of this yeah, tv they're the size of the tv and they're like maybe 50 50 60 bucks yeah, which it's is like not the same anything. as the metal ones. If you go on somewhere online and try to do it, like way more or like expensive. a shop here in town, yeah, way more expensive. Yeah, the metal ones for underwater photography come out incredible because really? they're they're shiny, 
and they just the colors are really good. The photos are really sharp. They're great. Great yeah. photography. Yeah, I've been thinking of like, uh, like I think I said before on the podcast, it's like trying to sell some of these to some yeah. of the businesses because like they come like if I could get them from Costco for fifty bucks and sell them for two hundred, yeah, or something like people pay. Jackson's is kind of a snobby art town, like wildlife yeah, art. Sure, I've gone into some of these galleries and it's like a picture similar to that one right there, but for five thousand dollars, you know. And I'm thinking, like, there's got to be somewhere in the middle where I can make I can make some money, and provide provide good pictures. Well, all the like breakfast, like well, out in Hawaii at least, all the, like the breakfast places and you know yeah. little cafes and stuff, they always have a ton of that kind of artwork for sale. Yeah, they do that here walls. too. Yeah, that's where you got to get them. Yeah, or maybe a brewery or something. You know, yeah, that's our a, age. Yeah, I said yeah that I um, have you been to Still West yet? I, I I haven't been anywhere. Okay, we'll go. We we got to go there together. Right. So, um, the owners of Still West. Now I mentioned them two podcasts in a row. Don Allen and Shaney Hankins. They used to live down the road here. They're building. When you came up, you see that lot. Not this one that's like got the building on it under construction. The one that just has the driveway paved in or mm-hmm. uh, pushed in. Yeah, down. That's there. so they're they're building there. Oh, cool. And they and they rented a house down the gravel road here. So we got to know them a little bit and like through the fire. I was up here. We got to know him a little bit more, and we go there all the time. Um, but yeah, maybe Don Allen, if you're listening, or when we talk next, maybe we could get some of these, some of this, some of my pictures up in Still West. Whether it's like, because they have like a, they have a really big building, and their upstairs is their restaurant and brewing area. Yeah. And like they have apartments in the back too. Then they have at the ground level, they have a cat like a coffee house, and then a tap house. So it's just the taps. When you're down on the patio, you can mm-hmm. get beers. And they have a little, uh, like, patio couch area with some TVs, so it's great for football. Yeah. Super fun for football, and they allow dogs down there. So maybe even in that space, you know, yeah. like, there's something there. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But, yeah. So we're getting on. We're at two hours and five minutes. Um, I think we should wrap this up a little bit. Yeah. So now you, you made it here. Everything's all good. We're all excited for winter. Oh, yeah. Super fun. Super glad to, to have met you. And it was kind of, um, I feel like doing this sort of conversation uh, really, really rapidly advances how quickly oh, you get to know someone. For sure. Because now I've heard about your last, um, how many years did we just cover? Well, I don't know, five? Yeah. Where that might take a full year right. of random other uh, <laughs> conversations to get right. through that. Yeah. And now we've talked for two hours straight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll wrap this up. So, uh, a question: Did you listen to the end of any, any episode? I don't think so. No. So the question. Okay, this is good. So I ask a question to all the get all the guests, and um, so of the words, who, what, when, where, and why. Of those words, which of them drives your decisions the most in your life? Yeah. Ooh, that, that, that's a great question. Well, I, I guess who greatly drives influences in my life now? Mm. And that would be Jill. Yeah. Um, because she is adventurous as I am and 
wants to go to all these different outdoorsy places and, and explore things. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that I would have, well, I know that I wouldn't have gone to these different places that I have without her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's been a huge driving factor for all that. Uh, but also what? And the what is the question mark of what's out there. You know, what are you going to learn from the next job that you do? What are you going to take away from the next place that you live at? So I, I'm going to cheat and say two of them. Yeah, that is cheating. <laughs> I've, others, others have tried to, tried to say all of them, and I said, no, you can't do that. No, but you can't do all of them. But yeah, because of the way you said it, I'll allow that. <laughs> yeah, because it's clear that in your past actions, that's how, that's the way it's worked out. Yeah. Because of the way, like I would, like, like we said, of what you get out of your jobs and then um, where you've gone and what you've done to kind of, to, to just to be with Jill. Right. Do you call her Jill or Jillian? I call her Jill. Should I call I've her Jill? Always, I've always called her Jill and she gets mad when I spell her name G-I-L-L. Or I'm sorry, <laughs> J-I-L-L? Yeah. Because she spells her name uh, with a G, Jillian. Yeah. And But if she shortens it, she'll just put G-I-L-L, and then people call her Gil. <laughs> and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. They call you Gil, so, and that says Gil, so why not just take away the J? She's like, well, it's not Jill. It's Jillian. I'm like, yeah, it's Jill. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll go, I'll go with Jillian. I'm a simple man. I'm just gonna put it with a J. Yeah, but it's Jillian. Yes. Okay. She'll be awesome with that. All right. So uh, yeah, thank thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Matt, can you tell everyone where to where they can find you on Instagram if they want to follow you? You can find me at tropical underscore yeti uh, on Instagram. That's my handle. Or find him uh, out making snow at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. That's right. Hopefully only for a short time longer because then we'll be getting dumped on so much we won't need fake, fake snow. Hopefully. Yeah, right? It's a weird job where you hope to not have to work yeah, in the it, winter. It's bizarre, but yes, you hope to not have to work. All right, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening. And as always, uh, message me on Instagram or text me if you have my number. If you want to see someone specific on the podcast or, uh, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, have a great day. Thank you.